Let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Michael Burgett. And Michael Burgett writes, Hey, John and crew. Deadline is reporting that the great Kenneth Branagh is set to direct a new biopic film on the Bee Gees with Barry Gibb himself on as an executive producer. I love the HBO doc on the group a couple of months ago. I missed that one, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. I, I love the HBO doc on the group a couple of months ago. And so my interest is piqued on this project. And to have a director of Branagh's caliber is worthwhile. What do you think of the news? Thanks and keep up the great work. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Michael. Now, look, normally... I, I really do like biopics. I'm not usually big. I don't get excited about biopics about musicians. Right. I know. That's like your one thing. Yeah. I mean, but the funny thing is I love, you know, straight out of Compton. Mm -hmm. I loved Bohemian what was Rhapsody. The I love Bohemian Rhapsody. I, I really, obviously I loved, um, uh, Ring oh, of Fire, not Ring of Fire, uh, Walk the Line. Walk the Line. What about the Elton John Rocket Man. I, I liked Rocket Man. I didn't love it, but but I liked Rocket Man. I thought it was a little unfair that Rocket Man had to come straight on the heels of Bohemian, Bohemian Rhapsody, Rhapsody because yeah. I think had it come out either before or with some space between them, people would have appreciated it more. It, it was, was creative. Very much so. It was very creative. It was and just so compared to Bohemian Rhapsody that I felt yes. was unfair. So it was a little bit of an unfair yeah. comparison. But um, so I, I got to admit, I'm not super stoked about this i mean because it's the bgs i mean when i was a little kid my mom would listen to bgs and of course staying alive staying alive sure I, I yeah everybody knows bgs actually i was just watching mystery men again with the disco boys and they were have playing a lot of bgs anyway um but kenneth brana being attached to direct is what piques my interest now kenneth brana is not a perfect director um, I mean, I love almost everything he's done, but not everything he does is totally fantastic. His Thor movie, I believe, is the second most underrated comic book film of all time. That first Thor movie I thought was fantastic. Anyway, so for that reason, I'll at least be a little bit interested. Aaron, what about you? You hear about Kenneth Braun doing a Bee Gees thing. And I don't know, were Bee Gees big in Texas when you were living there? What do you think about the Bee Gees? Well, I don't know if they were big in Texas, but I, I love the Bee Gees. And not just because Jimmy Fallon and uh, Justin Timberlake are hilarious when they do their impersonations <laughs> of them at SNL. No, you know, the thing about the Bee Gees. Okay, so for people who are not totally familiar with the background and of the Bee Gees and only recognize them from their staying alive um, right. moment go and watch um there was a Howard Stern interviewed them like 20 years ago forever ago there's wow. a really great Howard Stern interview with the Bee Gees and they're all three there and they're telling these stories and they're singing and they're they, they did a phenomenal job there and also Barry Gibbs was just interviewed by Alec Baldwin on his podcast talking about the upcoming biopic but the thing that's really cool about the Bee Gees that I think everyone will love whether you can appreciate their music or not is they've actually had uh like three or four career peaks and then valleys and then they keep coming back into relevance so in the 60s they um were very much kind of like a Beatles uh UK sensation and they were really popular with that and then as that 
uh, ty- as that genre of music started to wane in popularity, they faded away for like five or so years. And then all of a sudden in the 70s, they came up in like a uh, kind of a hippie folkish, you know, how can you mend a broken heart, that kind of th- that kind of music. And they peaked in popularity again and then they faded and then they came back again and obviously became uh, household names to people who were unfamiliar with their work previously. Uh, with Staying Alive and Saturday Night Fever. But that was actually really the shortest of all of their moments of popularity. Right, their phases. And so I got to say, I'm a big fan of uh, comeback stories and champions and people who continue to overcome the odds. Um, You know, I have a personal saying, which I have to remind myself of as an actor, you know, having been on shows and then going through periods of not working. And then I always say, if I did it once, I'll do it again. And I think that there's something really powerful to watching a story of people who really hit a, you know, some success. And then that success went away. How did they deal with that? And then found it again. And then they just keep finding it again. They keep finding, I hate to use the word relevance. because They're like the musical version of Keanu Reeves. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah. I mean, personally, Keanu, you never left my heart. You've always been a star to me. But, you know, for, for the John Campias out there who, who, who you know, recognize those valleys of careers, I think that it's going to be a really great story of uh, perseverance as an artist and uh, and constantly striving to reinvent yourself Um and not sticking with one specific thing just because it worked one time. And yeah, you know, Kenneth Branagh, I, I, we're going to talk more later in the episode about transitions that actors make from in front of the camera to behind the camera. Kenneth Branagh is a brilliant example of that. I, when I was studying in London, I saw him starring in Brand at the National Theater, and he was brilliant as a as a performer, and it's really exciting to see how he's transitioned as a director, and I'm excited to see what he's gonna do with the Bee Gees, especially with Barry Gibb being so um, involved in the project. All right, guys, question is for you. What do you think about the sounds of a Bee Gees biopic being directed by Kenneth Branagh? Are you excited or you're not? Does at least does the director pique your interest? Does the, the group it's based on pique your interest? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Kyle Phillips. And Kyle Phillips writes, I just read that MGM has confirmed Creed 3 will be released on November 24th. I thought I heard 23rd, but whatever, 23rd or 24th, with Michael B. Jordan in the director's chair. Personally, I am thrilled at this news as I have loved the last two installments and I'm excited to see Jordan's directorial debut. What are your thoughts? Thanks and keep up the great work. All right. You know, I have to admit that when the first Creed was announced, I thought, well, this is a really stupid idea. Mm. Nobody wants to watch a Rocky movie that isn't about Rocky. Yeah. This is Dumb. Oh, it's Apollo's son. And I just thought it was the dumbest thing imaginable. Mm -hmm. Then I saw Creed and I'm like, holy crap, this is awesome. It was 
so good. I lo- like everything, and I love the way it really was. It really was still a Rocky movie, but it was the transition phase. It, it was the moving on of the story, the changing of chapters, and and I love the relationship they created between Rocky and Adonis, and it and Michael B. Jordan was fantastic in it. Mm-hmm. I just loved it. Creed two comes out. And I enjoyed Creed 2. I liked mm-hmm. Creed 2. It, it wasn't on the same level as Creed 1, but the whole thing of bringing in, you know, the Dragos and all that kind of stuff. And that kid who played Ivan Drago's son, that dude is like, he was designed by geneticists 20 years ago. <laughs> that, 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 that kid is like, holy crap, he's ripped. Anyway, there were some whispers going around, some talk, and we talked about it on the John Camp show a while ago that there was some talk going around that Michael B. Jordan might actually make his directorial debut doing uh, a Creed 3. It's now official. It's done. It's going to come out of November, in November next year, and Michael B. Jordan will be directing the film. There's a couple things I like about this. The first thing I like about it is the fact that we're getting a Creed 3. I think there are more stories to tell with this character. And even if you just look at his personal life, like the relationship with Tessa Thompson in the movie and stuff like that, there's a lot of story there to tell. And then, of course, he was still just at the beginning of his career when we last, last left him in Creed II. We're relatively close to the beginning of his career. There's a lot of story there to tell, so that's number one. I like the idea of Michael B. Jordan directing this, and here's why. I often get a little nervous about first-time directors taking on something, biting off more than they can chew. Mm -hmm. Like trying to make their first film a big tentpole project. Like you take an example, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy. Uh, Why am I forgetting his name? He's huge in the business. The guy who directed uh, X-Men New Mutants. Um, Hold hold a second. Not not New Mutants. Um, Dark Phoenix. Dark... Let's see what the chat Phoenix. says. The uh, chat room right, can always right. be counted. See if I can find on. it before the chat throws it in there. Kimberg. Simon Kimberg. <laughs> Simon Kimberg. I don't know why. They're on I, a I delay. Froze, <laughs> I don't know why I froze in Simon Kimberg's name, but like Simon Kimberg had never directed a film before. He's a huge wealth of experience of writing and a producer, mm-hmm. but to make his first directorial effort a larger tentpole X-Men film, yeah. I thought was unwise. And, and it turned out that way. One mm-hmm. of the things I love about this is that the Creed movies are not huge budget movies. They're really more personal kind of movies. And if you're going to direct your first film, why not do it in a franchise where you are totally already at home in? You totally already know these characters. And it just, to me, is an ideal kind of first directorial effort thing. And Michael B. Jordan has worked with some of the best. And, and he mentions that in this as well. As we go over, this comes to us from Michael B. Jordan himself, who says, directing has always been an aspiration, but the timing had to be right. Creed three is that moment, a time in my life where I've grown more sure of who I am, holding agency in my own, in my own story, maturing personally, growing professionally and learning from the greats like Ryan Coogler, like most, and most recently Denzel Washington and other top tier directors that I respect, all of which sets the table for this moment. This franchise, and in particular, the themes of Creed 3, are deeply personal to me. I look forward to sharing the next chapter of Adonis Creed's story with the awesome responsibility of being its director and namesake from Michael B. Jordan. And one of the things he pointed out there, too, he has worked with some of the best directors in the world, including, and not the least of which is Ryan Coogler, mm-hmm. who just like turns everything into gold that he touches. He's waited. Michael B. Jordan has had the star power for a while that he could have directed something if he wanted, but he waited. 
and he waited and he wanted to learn and he wanted to grow. And honestly, now he has found the ideal first directing position for him. I think this is fabulous. I, I'm really looking at Look, maybe he's a terrible director. Maybe he'll suck. Sure. But you give yourself the best chance for success in an environment like this. Mm -hmm. So I'm really curious to see what he's going to do. What do you think about number one? We're going to get Creed three. Number two, what do you think about them now confirming Michael B. Jordan is going to be directing this sucker? You know what? When I read this, I was, I don't want to say that I wasn't surprised as if I had in some way uh, imagined that this would happen. It, it hadn't occurred to me, but it makes complete sense. And a lot of times, you know, what, happens is a lot of times you'll see a television show that you really enjoy and then you'll notice that that episode was directed by one of the stars of the show right, you go, yeah. oh, ha hey that's that's interesting happened on the office a lot <laughs> exactly and the and the way that that happens is you know you have a show the show starts picking up some success usually the first season they will bring in outside directors but a lot of times if an actor like let's say that i'm a series regular on a show the show has a first season um, if we see that it's becoming successful and I have aspirations to direct in television, I'll say to the producers, hey, by the way, you know, if we get a second season, I'd like to put my name in the hat to direct an episode. And then usually I'll have to show a short film or something that I've directed. Or sometimes if I've uh, shadowed one of the directors, then you spend some time shadowing directors. They understand your process. And then they give you an episode that maybe in the third or fourth season. That happens a lot of times in the world of television. So this is almost a similar situation where, like you said, he has been in, in the two properties before. He's intimately familiar with the property. But not only that, um, a lot of times with these franchise films, um, the crew remains the same. You may change the director or the head writer may change. But a lot of times the cinematographer, the, 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 the main crew, a lot of times will be brought back on for the second and third installments. So he's working with a crew that he's also familiar with. Um, and I love how he gives... Uh, he he pays homage to the men who shared with him and taught him that obviously have been mentors to him and will continue to be. You know, it, we've also seen this happen with Jodie Foster and Penny Marshall, Angelina Jolie, um, uh, uh, Ron Howard. Howard, thank you. I mean, there's just <laughs> so many. Kenneth Branagh, for example. Uh, there's been so many examples of actors who have then decided to go behind the camera which then gives them a longevity in this industry that as an actor, you are definitely not guaranteed. Right. You know, we have we now have people, I mean, Ron Howard is now known as a director and there's an entire generation that has never seen him in front of the camera before. Right. And maybe he doesn't even know that he was at one point an actor. You know, and now we're seeing the same thing happen with his daughter, Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, you know, I actually, Tom finally got me to sit down and start watching The Wire. I know, I oh, know. I'm wow. the last human no, on the no, planet. I was late to the party too. I didn't start watching The Wire till like four or five years ago somebody turned me on to it because I keep hearing all these people saying, greatest television show of all time. It's hard when there's and when Michael it's B. already Jordan's in it, by the way. I know, <laughs> I know, and I obviously won't, you know, give any spoilers to those who are still even later to, than me to the game. But you know, he is such a young, young performer. He gave such a beautiful, um, well-rounded, and emotional and heartfelt performance that to see how he has matured, and and I love that he actually 
spoke to that is not just, well, I wanted to do it, so I'm going to do it. He specifically said, I've matured to the place. And that tells me that not only is he wanting to try something new, he's wanting to branch out his own professionalism and his own creativity, but that he also understands the weight of the responsibility of being a director and that he's not just going to go in and be like, I'm a star, so everyone should treat me like a star. No, he's going in with the maturity to um to to take this seriously, which I think is I think Creed Three is just going to be one of many incredible opportunities that he has as a director. And I wouldn't be surprised if, like Clint Eastwood, we're talking about Michael B. Jordan as an Academy Award winning director many years from now in the future. I think that he's he and Olivia Wilde are both setting themselves up for beautiful directing. Well, I, I can't wait to see what Olivia Wilde's next one as well. But yep. you know, it you know, in which way will he go? I mean, it doesn't always work. I mean, yes, he could turn out to be the next Ben Affleck, where like hey, everything Ben Argo, Affleck. Hey, Argo, fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. Argo, fuck yourself. Or, Argo was a great movie. No, no, ben that's, Affleck. That's, did. that's what I'm saying. He's one of the great directors. Oh, I, I thought you were are saying you know, like, gone, baby, gone. Uh, the, I know. I'm like, town. what are you talking about? Say what you want about Argo. Ben Affleck. He's a great I mean, director. No, so he could go one Jordan way. Jordan Peele. He could go that way, or. It could go like Elizabeth Banks, where I, I mean, I His am in, perfect movies have done great, haven't they? But they haven't been great. Oh, now, okay. I, I, I don't the watch them. One. They're not. My... The first one is, is really great. The first one's the best one. If she didn't direct that one. And I haven't really. Now, you got to understand, I am in love. I've been in love with Elizabeth Banks ever since 40 year old virgin. Wonderful. She's yeah. fantastic. She's yeah. one of my favorite actresses. But I, I have to admit, I haven't really been thrilled with her. Uh, her Pitch Perfect movies, and I certainly wasn't thrilled with her Charlie's Angels movie. Yeah, uh, didn't so. I mean, she it, keeps it doesn't work. Getting chances. She's doing the new one. That she's making. We just talked about it on the show yesterday. She's doing this one based on a true story called Cocaine Bear about a bear oh. who ate seventy pounds of cocaine, and she's directing that for Lord Miller. So, but maybe she can turn around. But anyway, guys, the question is, what do you think about this? We've got Creed three. It's now officially on the books, coming out in November of next year, and it is now official. Michael B. Jordan will be making his directorial debut in a franchise he's very comfortable in. Are you nervous about it? Do you think, man, they just should have gotten one of the previous other directors back? What do you guys think about this? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's now move into main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by... Remy LeBeau. Oh, we got a we got a little X-Men mutant action going on in here. Remy LeBeau writes in, Greetings and salutations, John. We've talked a lot about how much WandaVision completely blew away all of our expectations and far exceeded Disney's wildest expectations for success. The question now becomes, can the Falcon and Winter Soldier exceed it? Before WandaVision, I think most people expected the Falcon and Winter Soldier to be the better and more successful than WandaVision, but with the kinds of crazy numbers it put up, can Sam and Bucky hope to pass it? What do you think? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in. And yes, of course, we uh, you guys know I loved WandaVision. I like was obsessed with WandaVision, but you also know amongst all the stuff coming out on Disney Plus for Marvel, whether it's, you know, Miss Marvel or She-Hulk or or Moon Knight or Hawkeye, the one I have most been anticipating is Falcon and Winter Soldier. That's the one I've been looking forward to the most. And it is about to be upon us. Now, the, the question comes up, 
And really, it doesn't matter if one's better than the other. All that matters every time we sit down to watch a movie or TV show is, is the movie or TV show we're going to watch good, enjoyable, entertaining? Did we get a good experience by watching it? It doesn't matter how it compares to the, to the other things that come out around it. All that matters is, did I have a good experience watching this movie or show? That should be the ultimate thing. But of course, we are fans. And so, of course, we do like to engage in these sorts of discussions about which one will be better, which one will be, have more success and all that kind of stuff. So I thought it'd be fun for a second here. I want to run down five reasons. This is not a top five list, <laughs> but I want to run down five reasons here that I think Falcon and Winter Soldier can actually beat and exceed WandaVision in terms of success and, and being a fan favorite and all that kind of stuff. But I also want to talk about five reasons why it won't. Okay. So let's let's start with this. Five reasons why... Falcon and Winter Soldier will exceed WandaVision, all right? Number one, it is the more traditional comic book style. You know, the people, you know, this is one of the reasons why Superman Returns, which I thought was a very good movie, but a very bad comic book movie. I think it's one of the reasons people go in expecting a comic book kind of movie. Superman Returns wasn't it. WandaVision was a delightful breath, breath of fresh air. But it has also been over a year since we've had some Marvel MCU like good traditional action Marvel MCU. And I think Falcon and Winter Soldier set up as a little bit more traditional kind of thing. And I think that's going to excite a lot of people. Number two, these are fan favorite characters. People mm -hmm. love Falcon. People love Bucky. Uh, they especially want Sebastian Stan to play a young Luke Skywalker for whatever reason, but they really love these characters. For whatever reason? Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, similarity, yes, but that's not really the main thing. But anyway, the third thing here is the return of Zemo. Now, as much as I love Civil War, I honestly thought Zemo was one of the weakest villains ever in a Marvel film. Not because he wasn't played well by the fantastic Daniel Bruhl, who is a, an amazing actor, but at the end of the day, everything he accomplished, when you really sit down and think about it logically, everything that happened in Civil War would have eventually all happened anyway, uh, even, even if Baron Zemo wasn't there. That's my take on it. But a lot of people loved Baron Zemo. They loved him. And so to see him now come back and actually, you know, don the Baron Zemo mask that a lot of people were looking for, that's got some people excited. Four is a big one, which is this thing is symbolically attached to Captain America. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole, if you look at the the entire, like the logo of Falcon Winter Soldier, it's Cap's shield, right? This thing is associated and sort of mentally has attachments to Captain America, who him and Iron Man, they have been the faces and the representation of the MCU for over a decade so I think that's going to play into it. But the fifth one is key too, because Falcon Winter Soldier now gets to build on the momentum and success of WandaVision. That's really works to its favor. It's now going to be able to keep going that with that snowball effect, especially with the fact that it's coming out immediately and we're not going to have to wait three or four months for it. So I think when you look at it's a more traditional comic book style. It is, they are fan favorite characters, the return of Baron Zemo, the symbolically attached to Captain America, and the fact that it gets to build on the momentum of WandaVision. I think these are all some really solid reasons why we can expect that Falcon and Winter Soldier will exceed WandaVision. Now, that being said, let's play devil's advocate and let's look at it from the opposite point of view. What are some reasons why we may expect that it won't do as well as WandaVision? Well, first of all, WandaVision was the first MCU product in over a year. And it's, it, you know, giving a, 
you have never enjoyed a glass of water more than when you feel like you're dying of thirst. <laughs> right. And that's just a big advantage that WandaVision had. We have gone over a year since Spider-Man Far From Home for something from the MCU it comes out and it just gives it gives us that experience that unfortunately Falcon Winter Soldier can't do. I mean, it gets to build on the momentum of WandaVision, but it's not going to be able to have that same. It's the first MCU thing in over a year that goes to WandaVision's favor. Also, WandaVision had a huge surprise factor it, because it was a sh the show ended up being nothing like what a lot of us thought it was going to be. I thought this show and I thought Kimberly put it great the other day. This show was going to be a really nice kind of uh, gimmicky looking at the love relationship. Even the promo materials that they sent me were a love like no other. It was going to be about the romance relationship of Wanda and Vision told through the lens of different eras of sitcoms. It turned out to be something completely different. It had that massive surprise factor, and that's something that Falcon and Winter Soldier doesn't really have that we know of. Also, WandaVision sets the bar very high. You know, we talked a lot about when we would be reviewing and talking about the various episodes of WandaVision, one of the things we would often say is, man, I would hate for WandaVision to be my opening act. Like, you don't want to go on stage after that band just kicked ass. Like, you don't want to follow them. And that's going to be one of the challenging things is WandaVision set the bar incredibly high. And that's going to be something that the, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier is going to have to deal with as now they come out on stage and take their turn. So that's something working against them a little bit, too. Also, here's a big one. The marketing for Falcon and Winter Soldier simply has not been as good as it was for WandaVision. They mounted a really serious marketing campaign for WandaVision. They got everybody intrigued. They took a very stylized approach to their marketing. The Falcon and Winter Soldier marketing, don't get me wrong, I've liked the trailers. By the way, Derek Katar sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Derek. Um, I mean, I've liked it. I've very much liked the trailers for Falcon and Winter Soldier, but they are typical trailers. Mm -hmm. and I'm excited for them because this is my most anticipated show. But the Falcon and Winter Soldier has not had the creativity in their marketing approach, and they certainly haven't had the brute force in their marketing that I think WandaVision's had. So that's another thing working against it. And also, you know, while we're saying one of the reasons that Falcon and Winter Soldier may exceed it because it's a more traditional comic thing, that may work against it. Being a traditional comic book style may seem like a little bit of a letdown now. Maybe now after watching WandaVision, we're expecting to have our expectations subverted. And if they don't, well, maybe we won't receive it as well. So once again, for me, five reasons why Falcon and Winter Soldier will exceed WandaVision. More traditional comic book style, fan favorite characters, the return of Zemo, symbolically attached to the face of the MCU, which is Captain America, and built on WandaVision's momentum. Maybe five reasons why it won't. WandaVision was the first MCU thing in over a year. WandaVision had a huge surprise factor. WandaVision set the bar extremely high. The marketing isn't as good as WandaVision's. And working kind of against it is the traditional comic book style, maybe, depending on what our expectations are right now. So that, to me, are some reasons why we can expect that Falcon and Winter Soldier will exceed WandaVision, both in success and maybe overall our enjoyment of it, and five reasons why maybe it won't. Aaron, I know that you and Tom made it a religious ritual to watch WandaVision every Thursday night at midnight. And, and well, in English in and in Spanish, in English and in Spanish. <laughs> I know we're now heading into Falcon and winter soldier. Uh -huh. 
what are you, where are your expectations right now? How do you think one will compare against the other? How will one do success-wise against the other? What are your expectations? Well, first of all, I don't like comparisons. I think there's enough love in the world to go around. I think that they're, you know, they're not um, on the same night. They're not at the same time. We don't live in that world of watching television anymore. So we are just going to transfer all that love we had for WandaVision and we're just going to put it right into Falcon and Winter Soldier and let it roll on and roll on and snowball until whoever is the final act of the MCU Disney Plus performance will just be an amalgamation of all the love we have shown throughout. Um, no, in all seriousness, I, I I don't necessarily think that one is going to, quote, do better than the other, because as you pointed out, they're completely different. And yes, WandaVision was a drink of water after dying of thirst. Um, and, you know, not to get too emotional here, but let's be honest, I don't think that there is a person on the planet who has come out of the past year unscathed right. in some way. Yeah. And WandaVision not only was unique and different um, and unexpected in the way that they told a story, but also it was heartfelt. It dealt with incredible, deep painful loss, not only of her husband, which I know people who have lost their husbands in the last year, but also of her sibling, that loss. Right. And we all we, we, we all have experienced some loss or we know someone who has lost someone this year. And so the fact that they were able to connect to that, I think really resonated in a deep way with a lot of people. And also having the different time periods kind of uh, turned on a little bit of the nostalgia that we have all felt this year for another time period, whether we were nostalgic for the 50s or whether we were nostalgic for the 90s. We were just nostalgic for some time period before the shit show we've been living in. And so to be able to escape that a little bit through the eyes of Wanda in these beloved sitcoms or telenovelas that we, uh, you <laughs> depending know, on which language <laughs> depending on which language you're watching, you know, I think that that was one of, and I don't know if that would have had the same, I don't know if that would have resonated the same way had we seen this exact same WandaVision a year ago without everything that we've lived through. So in a very bizarre happenstance way, it was the show we needed at exactly the time we needed it. And now that we are starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, that vaccinations are starting to become more plentiful, that you know that the 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 hospitalization rates are going down and people are starting to things are starting to open up again, we're seeing falcons soaring through the air. We're seeing fight scenes. We're, and and we want that action. We want to be outside. Yeah. I really think that this is the, the the timing of it, it's almost, it's just really miraculous in the way that it all worked out. Um, and, and so I'm excited because this will be something completely different and it'll be a return to the MCU as we know it. I'm looking forward to more action. I'm looking forward to more fight scenes. Um, I'm looking forward to these two characters who are not only beloved, but also from my perspective, 
eye candy for, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I could just, I will be watching for many reasons, but um, I'm not going to lie. I'm, you know, like the, there, there's some good looking stuff going on on that show. So I, I really don't necessarily think that one's going to quote, do better than the other. Obviously the numbers may come back and, you know, somebody will look at a chart and say one was more successful. But I think that given that they are two vastly different programs, um, they both have a place. And I'm just I, I, as excited as I am about Falcon and Winter Soldier and as wonderful as it does. I don't think that's going to take away anything from what WandaVision did, especially in a time when we all really needed that. They're, they're going to be two very different shows. Uh, completely. They're going to be two very, very different experiences, which is something that that has been a hallmark of of what Marvel's been able to do with their properties. They are constantly changing gears. Yeah. One's a crime thriller. One's a political thriller. One's a heist movie. One's more of a straight comedy. One's, I mean, and then we got WandaVision. And, you know, here's the thing, too. Remember, we went into WandaVision with a certain set of expectations about what we thought that show was going to be. And it really, really turned out to be something different. We are all going into Falcon and Winter Soldier, including me, with a certain set of expectations of True. what we think. We think this is going to be the more traditional comic book show. We think this is going to be the more of the actioneer show. Well, we thought a lot of things going into WandaVision too. And they made it something incredibly different mm -hmm. that was even better than what we were expecting. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do there. By the way, I just want to say, uh, to Toodle, Dundeep sends in like a $50 Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you so much, man. That's really cool. And I love the badge you put on there too. You have to be watching the show in the live chat to be able to see it. But thank you so much for that, man. We appreciate that. Anyway, guys, the question for you is, where are your expectation levels right now for Falcon and Winter Soldier? How do you think it's going to do compared to, say, a WandaVision? Do you think they're going to subvert our expectations like WandaVision did? Can you see other pros and cons about maybe why, other than the five that I listed for each, maybe you can think of some other ones as well? Whatever those thoughts are, jump down into the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. Okay, guys, with that down and out of the way, Let's now move on and start taking your live questions. Once again, if you want to get in a live question on the show, simply use the tip link that's in the description of the video or enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate. And of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And all of us here on the show, thank you guys for that support. All right. Let's move over here and start taking some questions here. We're going to start off with James LH who writes, Hey, John. All those voices that cried out in terror when Bob Chapek supported Kathleen Kennedy, good on him. Uh, do I like everything she has done? No. I don't take it personally or hate her. No, because the good easily outweighs the bad, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, so of course, one of the big pieces of news yesterday was Bob Chapek came out and said, we love what Kathleen Kennedy's doing and we want her to be running Lucasfilm for years to come. I still don't think she will be running things Two and a half years from now. I don't think she's going to still be there. I think in a year, year and a half, whatever, I think she will walk. Um, I think she's gotten Star Wars back into a much better place. I've been very critical of some of what I think are the major mistakes she has made along the way. But at the same time, you can't deny some of the major successes she's had as well. So we're going to see where they go with that, James L.H. And certainly you're right. There were big reactions. There were certainly big reactions around the internet yesterday to that. All right, James Hoffman writes, the new season of The Flash is off to a great start. I haven't watched it yet. Episode two is amazing. I am totally hooked again. Writers are returning to what makes the show so good. Chemistry between the characters, heartfelt moments, and a great superhero and great superhero action. You know, I'm going to go on a limb here and I'm going to say The Flash has never been as good as 
when they had this villain called Block on it. So they had this villain on Flash called Block, and the show has just never been as good since. I don't know if you saw that episode, Aaron. Are you are you, are you familiar with that episode of Flash where they no, had a villain called No, can you tell me more Block? about this Block character? He or she or they sound intriguing. Please tell me more. Well, it was all about the performance. I mean, it was all right. Their, their character was written okay, I suppose. I suppose <laughs> the character was written okay. But what really got you was the performance. Okay, for those of you who don't know, uh, Aaron, I, I played a character called Block, and uh, she'd just been released from prison and had uh, was in the big explosion and therefore had Got her came, powers. came out of prison with some superpowers with the ability to compress air molecules into blocks, essentially bricks, which she could throw up and make, not throw up, not vomit, but actually <laughs> throw and create a wall to either uh, prevent and someone from- And you like suffocated your enemies too. Yeah, that, was, right? that yeah. was the big reveal is like I- you know, blew this, blew up this wall and came in and because I was an arms dealer. And then this guy was trying to sell all of my weapons. And I was like, no, bitch, I'm back. I'm back <laughs> to take all of my weapons. And so uh, I, I built a brick wall around him and then compressed it and compressed it and compressed it. And he squeezed and he squeezed until he was just a little bitty cube of meat. And just a reminder to, to everybody watching, to everybody at CW, you didn't kill her off at the end. Well, she lives well, hold at the on. end. Okay, so that was the funny story is that the writer and I were at craft services and she said, oh, it's too bad that, you know, you keep dying because uh, the the showrunner at the time had been on um, – had been on on Spartacus, and so she where said, they killed you, where they killed, where, where I did die for sure. Like there's no no doubt about that. And I said, I don't die in this episode. And she goes, Yeah, you do. And I said, No, I don't. And the entire crew that was at craft services was like, Bye, not gonna get involved in this conversation. And then she said, Oh, that's right. Every ep every um, every draft, your character dies, and then at the last minute, we changed it to where, as I fall into as Block falls into Flash's arms, he says, "Get her to a hospital." And so we run off to a hospital. So then we've been like, "Hey, bring back Block, bring back Block." And there was a reference in one episode where they were like, "Yeah, and Block's still in the hospital," and I was like, "Yes, I can come back." And then I think maybe one of the writers was like, "Aaron Cummings keeps talking about wanting to come back to the." The show we got to make a decision so in one episode they were like oh yeah by the way block died in the hospital anyway <laughs> uh, so but hey i in a, in a different universe yeah hey, that's it that's it guys just make just come on guys it was a CW. great experience Bring back block i would love to come back but i also will happily hold on to my one episode of the flash knowing that it was just it was really fun for any actors out there if you ever get a chance to be on the flash Run, don't walk to Vancouver. Great crew, great cast, really fun experience. Uh, and, and you got to go do it in Vancouver, which is great. All yeah. right, next up, uh, we've got Dex Star who writes, uh, hello, hope all is well. All is well, Dex Star. And by the way, Dundee, send in another super chat badge. You saw that. Thank you so much, man. <gasps> Thank Appreciate you, that so much. Deal. Thank you to for that support, dial. man. That is really, really generous of you. Thank you, man. Um, Dex Star writes, Hope all is well. One thing that bugged me about Thor Ragnarok is when people kept shipping Thor with Valkyrie, even though it was openly stated, but it was cut from the film that she lost. Uh, she lost her girl. Thor met one of uh, Thor met one of his heroes, someone he looked up to. Um, I am not sure now. The big ship going on right now is because of everything that um, uh, Tessa Thompson, who plays Valkyrie, and Captain Marvel, played by uh, Brie Larson. Uh, they keep, keep 
referencing each other on Twitter and everything like that. And now, and they're talking about maybe there might even be a Captain Marvel and Valkyrie movie in development at some point. But now everybody's like, they want to see that as a relation. Everybody's shipping that one as a relationship now. So there's there's that one that they're going on to. But I don't believe, if I'm not mistaken, I thought what I heard Tessa Thompson say once is not that Valkyrie is lesbian, but she may be bisexual. And if so, then, you know, people may be shipping her and Thor is a perfectly fine thing too. But what I, I don't look, I just hate romantic relationships in superhero movies anyway. I agree. Un- unless it's Tony and Pepper. I, I'm not really big on uh, relationships in the in uh, these things. And exactly. by the way, Dwayne Jackson sends in a super chat badge. Thank you, Dwayne. Appreciate that, man. Um, next up, James Hoffman writes, I watched your movie trailer documentary. Thank you so much, James. I appreciate that. Uh, you did a great job. The topics were so well organized and it was thoughtful, informative and fun to watch. Thank you. I also watched Coming to America 2. I enjoyed it a lot. Snipes' character really stole the show. Well, first of all, again, thank you for watching my documentary and to all of you guys who did um, and continue to. By the way, I'll use this opportunity to plug it. Why not? Plug, Do plug, it. plug. My, my documentary, guys, Movie Trailers Love Stories, available now online, whatever country you live in. You can simply go to vimeo.com slash on demand slash movie trailers. You can find it there. But if you live in the US or the UK, you can also watch it on Amazon. Simply go on to Amazon, search for movie trailers, a love story, and you should be able to find it there. All right. Now that the plug, plug, plug is done. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed Captain or Captain America 2. Coming to America 2. I'm glad you did. I wish I did as much. Uh, again, I, I thought they did a lot of things well. They just didn't make me laugh, other than maybe mm-hmm. one or two points in the film. Uh, the Wesley Snipes bit was great, though. I'll give you that, man. That Wesley Snipes bit was great. But I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. I'm super, super glad you did. All right, Dex Star writes, uh, I just wanted to write in again and say thanks for being a hub for film fans. I've been a fan since the AMC, and I'm a child of the Reels Channel era. I got a story about Reels Channel. Anyway, um, RIP. Anyways, thanks for all you guys do. I'm working on my first short film. We're on, hi- on hiatus at the moment to edit. Well, first of all, that is awesome. Yes. That you are actually taking that step. Everybody talks about writing a book or wanting to make a movie. You took the step to do it, and that is awesome. Um, by the way, uh, Sketa13 and Tina Hesse in the live chat send in Super Chat badges. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. Um I was actually approached by Reels Channel uh, about this is back in the AMC days. Uh, this is in the early AMC days, and they were interested in uh, me bringing movie talk mm-hmm. over to the Reels Channel, and I ultimately turned it down uh, simply because I, I couldn't. I couldn't possibly. I wouldn't have had full creative control. Oh, yeah. And at that point, I was like, just no. Mm-hmm. Like, nope, 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 not going to happen. And I mean, don't get me wrong. If they had put up, here's two million a year, right. Campia, yeah. I'd say, whatever you want to do, let's do it. A hundred percent. Yeah. It wasn't that kind of money, but yeah. it's, uh, but that's the thing with the I think channel. you've done just fine. I've done all right. I think you've made some good choices. I've, I've made some pretty good choices. I'm pretty happy with where I am. All right, let's move on here. Uh, next up, Ryan Loner writes, one more thing I have to thank the, the, uh, the crown for is finally letting me understand the joke in Seinfeld where Peterman buys a piece of cake from Edward VIII's wedding, calling him one of the most dashing and romantic Nazi sympathizers of the royal family. <laughs> now you get the joke. Now, I, I never did ask. Did you guys, did you and Tom ever watch The Crown? I know Anne was obsessed Tom with Tom did Crown. not. I, I did watch The Crown. I, I watched obsessively, yeah. Because they just like won... 
Like, I, well, the Golden Globes are as useless as horse shit on the side of the road, but yeah. they did just win a bunch of Golden Globes. Mm-hmm. Like, like the guy who played Charles won, and the girl who played Diana won. Well, there, the, the guy who plays Charles, you know, I, I have never, being an American outsider and not really, I, I don't have a huge opinion of the crown. It doesn't apply to me, obviously. I'm not planning on marrying into the monarchy anytime soon. So um, it just doesn't really affect my life. So I, I'm not, I don't follow British, the any any of the stuff with the crown, but I did not have a terribly high opinion of Charles, and I think that the show, it really illuminates the completely bizarre and dysfunctional uh, way in which that family lives and just completely isolated from any sort of uh, familial love and connection that I think we would hope and assume that functional families would provide. Um, you know, it just, it, 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 for me, it made the seemingly strange and cold decisions that were pu- made public. It made it make a little bit more sense. You just go, oh, that's just how they were raised. You right. know? Yeah. That's how you were raised. So, you know, mama did that to you. All right. Next up. Uh, nerdy teacher writes hey john so with the pandemic and the theaters being shut down and a lot of movies going to streaming i was wondering how do movie studios generate revenues with streaming apart from subscribers thanks well it depends if you are if you are the streaming service that's it that's how you generate revenue is is thing actually we we're just talking about this uh peacock for 2020 they reported a loss of 914 million dollars mm. uh, which actually isn't bad considering i think it was 2019 that Netflix lost like $12 billion or $13 billion, but they lost $914 million on a total revenue of like $115 million. Mm. Total revenue. Now, granted, it was the year they were just getting started, so that's fine. So if you're the streamer, that's how you get your revenue. If you're a studio and you don't have the theatrical release, then what you do is you can make money by uh, selling the the uh, license to their movies out, right? So you know you can sell it to Amazon for... Fifty million dollars, or you can sell it to you know one of the other streamers for X number of millions of dollars. So there's things to be made there. So that and other ways, they they always come up with creative ways to make money. But those are the primary ways. All right, next up, Joe Hill writes. Today marks the five year anniversary of my favorite movie trailer of all time, Trailer Two of Captain America: Civil War, which revealed the MCU's new Spider Man. I cannot believe that was five years ago today. That it, I even have a hard time imagining that Captain America Civil War itself was five years ago. I mean, I, I feel like it was just a few months ago that I was in a movie theater. Remember being in movie theaters? That I was in a movie theater and watching the airport battle scene in Civil War. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, whoo, but that trailer, I think that was the one that, um, Oh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I, I can't remember it exactly, but I, I know the trailer you're talking about, and it was one of the marquee trailers for sure, Joe. All right, next up, Avocado on Toast writes. I love that. Hey, John and gang, love going to the cinema. Miss it at the moment, but hate noisy family, uh, kids and families, etc. Uh, tried older theaters, you know what I mean, with the pandemic and people enjoying luxury of streaming, do you think this could be a uh, time for theaters to improve uh, their theaters and make it more enjoyable for us, the consumer, to compete against the streaming services? Number of times I've had to tell people uh, 
tell people to who are screaming to be quiet is crazy. If the cinemas want us to return, uh, some chains do need to update. I don't know. I, I don't know that I agree with you, Avocado, because, and here's why. <laughs> I love, one of the reasons why, I mean, yeah, we can all be fucking losers and sit in our houses like we do every single fucking day uh-huh. and, and sit on the same couch and turn on the same TV and whatever. To me, one of the reasons why every day when I woke up and knowing that I was going to the movies that day, that whole day would be a good day for me. Mm-hmm. Like when I wake up in the morning and I know I'm going to the movies because going to the movies, I like the event atmosphere of it. Yeah. I like when I'm going to go see whether it's, you know, Batman versus Superman, or I'm going in to see a new James Bond film, or I'm going in to see a great comedy, whatever. To me, it's an event. Mm-hmm. Going to the movies is an event. You get together with your favorite person or a group of friends or whatever. You go grab a bite to eat. You then head off to the thing. To me, it's the exact same as like I'm going to an NBA game or something. It's mm-hmm. an event and I love it. And part of that is I enjoy the crowd atmosphere. Now, that doesn't mean I like ignorant people in theaters. Right. Not at all. But very different. The the cheering and the and the whatever and stuff. I to me that's part of the experience. Now I gotta say I'm really lucky. I personally find, and everybody's experience will be different. I personally have found that the last five years or so, not counting the pandemic year, have been I've found I far less have those really irritating experiences in theaters like I did in years pre, uh, previously to that. Mm-hmm. I found that theaters have done a better job. You know, I'm not a big fan of Alamo Drafthouse. <gasps> um, just I they're they're just some pretty questionable people involved there. But what? They, they do. Have, oh, yeah, I could I could go into it for a while, but I won't. But. I will say, but they do have a really good theatrical experience when you go. And one of the things that they do that I love, that I love. Their cocktails? No. Oh. Um, but is like in a number of their theaters, they will just straight up like have. I remember they did this one. Who was in Before Sunset? It was Handsome Hawk and what's the name of uh, Ethan Hawk And what's the girl Before Sunrise, Before Sunset? Yeah. I'm forgetting the name of the actress. But at any rate, guys in the live chat, uh, the name of the actress from Before Sunrise and Before Sunset. Um they they had this thing where when, the last time I was in the Alamo Draft Julie House, Delphi. Thank you very much. So they have the screen come up. This is before the movie starts. And it's like they're acting out a new, a, a new scene from a new Sunrise Sunset movie. And they're uh-huh. talking. And all of a sudden in the background, you hear like a cell phone ringing. Yeah. And Julie was, just stops, turns the camera. Is somebody have a fucking phone in here? Yeah. Like, like straight up. Seriously, you have a fucking phone. You know how long we've been working on this movie? And, uh, <laughs> people here to see it. And like one of the things I love about Alamo Drafthouse is they got very aggressive in their pre-show sh- stuff about, mm-hmm. hey, everybody, shut the hell up. If you disturb other patrons here, you're an asshole and we will throw you out. Oh, yeah. You like, can put a little thing. I love it. That's what I love about Alamo Draft House is you can literally put a little card saying the person next to me is texting. Not even if they're talking on the phone, but like if I see someone's light on their phone next to me and it's distracting, I can write my little note and say the person next to me is texting and they'll say, hey, you got to get off your phone or we're going to kick you out. I, I I, don't know what you're talking about, about Alamo Draft House. Clearly, you and I have to have a conversation after this because I, I love them. It is the only theater that Tom and I go to anymore because I've become a little bougie. 
you know what? There are certain things in my life at that that at this point in time, I'm just not going to put up with anymore. When I travel, I don't sleep at hostels anymore. I did that when I was in my 20s and I was backpacking <laughs> through Europe. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to want to sleep at a certain type of hotel. And I'm the same way about movie theaters. I want to ha- I want to be able to pick my seat well in advance. I want my seat to recline. I want to be able to have a full cocktail menu and dessert and food. I want to be able to kick someone out if they're being obnoxious. If you want to be on your phone, go watch this at home three months from now. I'm not interested. That is my experience that I want to have. Alamo Draft House gives it to me because I pay for it. Um, I do. I, I and but but there's also even at um, I forget what is the name of the theater. That's in Silver Lake, uh, old theater that's been there forever, and they removed every other row. Um, it's beloved. It's remember. on Sunset. Anyway, it doesn't matter. They have, excuse me, microphone. They have Mommy and Me afternoon uh, so that if you want to bring your screaming toddler to see a movie, you can do that. And you will be around a lot of other mommies that have a, and daddies that have their toddlers and you know that if you want to see that movie that's a time that you're probably not going to want to go see it if you do not have a screaming child with you um i i don't necessarily think that we should have child free screenings but i'm not saying i'm totally opposed to the idea of having maybe an episode uh, you know but, but that's another thing I don't know. I, I haven't had a lot of experiences where people are screaming at the theaters, but maybe that's a conversation to have with the manager of your local theater. If that's something that you're encountering a lot, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that that's something that is an overall cinema issue. You know what I mean? Right. I think it might be limited to specific movie theaters that just have an audience that you know, has a lot of rowdy kids or people like to be a little bit louder. And maybe if that's the case and that's not the way that you enjoy watching a movie, that might be the way that some other people watch a movie and enjoy it. So maybe try finding another theater. All right, let's move on. Next up, we've got uh, Wesley Cunningham writes, Hey, John, thinking on these uh, thinking on these streamers collectively outpacing the price of cable, could you see it justified by studios as being due replacing... I'm going to try reading this again. Hey, John, thinking of these streamers collectively outpacing the price of cable, could you see it justified by studios as being due replacing TV programming, cable series and movies, as well as physical media uh, of the- physical media of theatrical films? Would you agree? I'm going to be honest with you, Wesley. I have no idea what it is you're asking. I... I have no idea what it is you're asking. My apologies for that, Wesley. I, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I'm just not being able to put together what it is specifically you're asking about. All right, next up, James Argento writes, uh, one of the questions coming out of WandaVision is when is the next time we will see Vision 2? I think an obvious answer uh, I don't hear a lot is Armor Wars. Uh, with the show being about Tony's uh, tech getting in the wrong hands and Vision is the most dangerous of his tech. I'm going to disagree with you on that, James. I don't I don't think that's uh, I don't think that Vision has no connection at all because Armor Wars is really going to focus around Rhodey, Don Cheadle. And so I and there's really no connection between Vision and Don Cheadle. I think that kind of changes the story altogether. I don't think that's what they're going to do. So I'm going to go ahead and take a guess that no, I don't think that'll be that. Now, I don't have a better guess 
I don't have a better guess as to when we're going to see Vision 2 next. For all I know, he's pulling a Dr. Manhattan, sitting up on the moon right now, just trying to collect his thoughts and figure out who and what he is. All right, next up, people saying, what's Armor Wars? It's basically going to be the War Machine uh, show, the War Machine show. Anyway, uh, Tim Platt writes, did you hear that the CFL and XFL, I did hear about this. Did you hear that the CFL and the XFL uh, might be partnering together. Also, the NHL is coming back to ESPN, and I don't just mean the occasional out-of-market game on ESPN Plus either. It would be so cool if they got Steve Levy and Barry Melrose back together too. You know what? I'm not actually a big fan of Barry Melrose. I, I Don't get me wrong, good Canadian kid and all that kind of stuff, but I am not a big fan of his hockey analysis. I was I was really never been a big fan of his hockey analysis. So it's really weird. But what's really fun is that this, there's the possibilities of CFL, which is the Canadian Football League, and XFL with The Rock behind it and everything. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is one of the owners there, just so you know. That is really interesting and intriguing to me. That is very interesting and intriguing to me. So we'll, we'll see what they do with that. All right, next up, uh, Disney Troll writes, Disney casted Evan Peters to play, play Ralph because they knew it would go viral and sell subscriptions. They did this at the cost of disappointing X-Men fans. Not cool. Uh, the division amongst fans is proof. It was a rare mistake from Feige. Nope, it was brilliant perfection. They didn't put Evan Peters in there to sell subscriptions. You're wrong. Because if they had put Evan Peters in there to sell subscriptions, guess what? He would have been in the marketing. Period. If they were putting Evan Peters in there to sell subscriptions, it would have been what they would have done is they would have put it featured it prominently in the marketing. That's mm -hmm. what they would have done, but they didn't. And listen, they don't care about X-Men fans they, and they shouldn't. I'm a X-Men fan. I'm a big fan. When I say X-Men fans, I'm talking about the Fox iteration of X-Men. I am a fan of the Fox iteration of X-Men. It's one of the reasons I didn't want Disney to get their hands on X-Men again. But I am a fan of the Fox iteration X-Men. But they don't care about the Fox iteration of X-Men. And they shouldn't because they're going to make their own X-Men. And uh, we're going to see how good or bad those will be. Maybe they'll be better than the Fox X-Men. Maybe they won't be as good. But we'll see what they do. But no, the Evan Peters casting was absolutely genius. Mm -hmm. And if y'all had just listened to me when I told you from the day that he showed up that he was not actually Quicksilver, maybe you wouldn't have set yourselves up for disappointment. But that's just me. Um, anyway, next up. Oh, Ordinary um, People sent us in a... a oh, Ordinary People sent us in a Super Chat badge. Thank you, Ordinary People. Appreciate that very much. Oh, five um, pounds. Thank you. Next up, um, Adil Ortega writes, Hey, John. I've been watching since the AMC days. Thank you so much. Uh, no one's ever talking about this, but do you think Marvel will be introducing Inhumans? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, with the Miss Marvel show coming to Disney Plus and her being an Inhuman, no. I, you know, okay, so I don't know for sure. I certainly don't know for sure, but I do know this. Inhumans was one of the biggest fights between Kevin Feige and and Ike Perlmutter. Ike Perlmutter, if you don't recognize the name, he actually used to be Kevin Feige's boss at Marvel. And they dif di differed on big things. It got so bad that Kevin Feige was going to walk from Marvel and Disney if they didn't get him out from under Ike Perlmutter. They did a big leadership change reorganization. Kevin Feige started re uh, d directly reporting to Alan Horn, who is the high lord guru of all things at Disney movies, <laughs> at least he was at the time, um, and, and all that kind of stuff. He wanted nothing to do with Inhumans after that fight. And the fact is that Marvel made such a horrible, one of the worst things they ever did 
was that Inhuman show. One of the absolute worst things they ever did was that Inhuman show. And honestly, I don't, I don't think, now again, I have no insider information. This is just me speculating. I don't think Kevin Feige wants to touch Inhumans with a thousand foot pole. Now, of course, you bring up the point. Ms. Marvel is supposed to be Inhuman. I don't think she's going to be an Inhuman. I don't think they're going to say she has her powers because she's an inhuman. Now, I again, I have no insider information on that. That's just me speculating. That is simply me pulling it out of my ass and, and just speculating as a fan like all of us do. But yeah, I, I will be really surprised if Kevin Feige touches inhumans again with a thousand foot pole. I just don't think they're going to do it. Could be wrong, but we'll see where they go about that. Um, okay. Monmo Thruglio sent in a super chat. Thank you. Yes, they did. Thank you so much, Mon Monmo Thruglio. Throglio. 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 Um, next up, we've got Mad Marga Mad Mardigan's Cardigan. A <laughs> little bit of uh, Willow thing going on in there. Hey, John, new kaiju films haven't interested me until the Godzilla vs. Kong trailer. So, I watched the other Godzilla 2014. It was great. King of the Monsters was silly. But Zilla vs. Ghidorah was one of the best things I've seen on screen. Skull Island was a romp. Psyched for Godzilla versus Kong. This is one of the things for me. I have had a very hard time prior to the trailer. I had a very, very hard time getting excited for Godzilla versus Kong mm -hmm. because, and only because, I thought Godzilla, King of the Monsters, was pretty poor. Okay. I thought, now, the fight between Godzilla and King Ghidorah was fabulous but that's only a small part of the movie i thought overall the movie made very little sense and i i just didn't like it and then the trailer for godzilla versus kong came out and i lost my mind <laughs> and i i determined for myself and by the way evelyn sends in a super chat badge too thank you evelyn and i determined for myself that even if I have to get into my car again, like I did eight months ago, and drive, and drive to Las hours, Vegas, yeah, mm -hmm. I am going to drive to Las Vegas to go see Godzilla because this is that's not you got to see in some shitty TV at home. That's something you got to see on the big screen. Yeah, and like Warner Brothers, I will drive to Las Vegas to go see Godzilla versus Kong, whatever. But it looks like theaters are going to open up like maybe as early as Saturday in LA. What? Yeah, they're saying maybe as early as Saturday at the latest by the nineteenth of oh, March. God. They're saying because they, we've dropped to those tiers where they've said the uh, that certain things can happen. I know, but until everybody's able to get back, I mean, there's still like... Uh, but, but here's the thing, like to me, the movie theaters, like I've been to a movie theater twice. I've been into a grocery store 30 times. The movie theater to me is a far safer environment than the grocery store. It's far safer because I've done it twice. I've done it twice. I'm telling you, I feel far more secure. I know I'm not... Touching no the, jar pickles that 50 other people have Here's the, the last difference. Hour. When you walk into a grocery store, at least the ones in Los Angeles, a lot of them still have one door to enter, another door to exit. You know, sometimes they're still counting the number of people there. Everyone is wearing a mask. They have, you know, people making sure that everyone is wearing a mask. And the biggest thing is no one is taking their mask off to eat and drink. Whereas in a movie theater, everyone is taking off their mask to eat and drink their popcorn and their soda. You with extra butter. And you're not spending you know an hour and a half to two hours in front of the same disease-ridden toxic human spewing all of their germs all over the back of your head and around your face 
for an hour and a half to two hours at a time. It's it's not that that's not the I got to tell you, I, I did it twice and that was not the experience whatsoever. Like you walk in, you didn't have anybody sitting behind you. No, I had nobody sitting behind me. They had 25 percent capacity when I went in there. We had nobody around us. Um, the, now granted, yes, you can take, they say you can take off your mask when you're eating or drinking, but that's no different than people eating at restaurants outdoors right now either. Only they're outdoors. Closer, there's wind, but no, and they have the AMC theaters put in all those new, uh, air fil filtration systems and all that. I'm just telling you, no, no, no. Hey, I'm not saying that people shouldn't go to the movie theaters. If you want to go to the movie theaters, go to the movie theaters. All I'm saying is, you know what? We're so close. We're so close. So many people are going to be vaccinated. So many more people are going to be vaccinated by the end of I March. Agree, Just give us two more weeks. Sing, here's the thing. This is the thing. They put out a study that was done by the government that showed that not a single outbreak case of anything, when the theaters were still open, were ever traced back to a movie theater. And so I'm like, you know what? If I can go to a grocery store, which I think is triple the risk. I disagree. Then, okay. then I think going to the movie theater is going to be perfectly fine. And I'm very excited for it. And I'm probably going to be able to see it. Well, at the very least, I'll be able to see it in uh, Orange County. But maybe might actually be able to go of to my Burbank 16. Of course you will to see it in Orange County. I'm going to Lysol the fuck out of you every time <laughs> I see you. Just so you know. Oh, and no. I'm going to cut in line to get my vaccine. So take that, LA Times. I w no, I'm not going to do that. I am actually, Tom and I are actually going to start volunteering at vaccine sites. Number one, so that we can get vaccinated. I mean, it's crazy that like I have a 43-year-old friend. Well, who is you and Tom are both immune compromised i mean no. you guys should be i've been cancer free for three years or whatever i know but doesn't don't they qualify that even though you've had those treatments doesn't that qualify i don't know you? ucla is supposed to send out an email letting us know whenever we apparently uh after on march 15th is when anyone who like had any sort of issues you know health issues you know is compromised or whatever um can get their vaccine but here's what i don't understand i have a friend who is 43 years old he has advanced stage als he is confined to a wheelchair he is on a million different medications he's not eligible for the vaccine that yet a 23 ridiculous. year old healthy doordash driver is it does seem ridiculous because it is fucking ridiculous and if you want to hear more about my thoughts on that um you can go to my twitter and i had a whole rant about it but uh so given that no i have not heard that tom and i despite the fact that we i that we both have had cancer I have not heard anything from UCLA about whether or not we are eligible. So we are just going to go and volunteer to work um, at the vaccine sites. And if you do that in the state of California, they'll go ahead and vaccinate you. So I'm like, hey, if that's what I have to do so that I can go to the movie theaters and I don't have to lice all the fuck out of my friend John Campia, that's what I'm going to do. Well, I, all I can say is that, like I said, I did it twice and I felt far more secure and far safe far safer there than I do in a lot of places that we go to on a regular basis. But that was just me. So I hope they, they keep up their uh, their protocols because that's going to be important. All right, next up, uh, we go to Jonathan who writes, after seeing the promos, reading O'Connell's book release, uh, the Snyder Cut, and reading what Zach and everyone has said, I cannot agree uh, that this that this is the same movie we got in 2017. Broad stroke, sure, but it feels like from beginning to the cliffhanger end, it'll feel like a completely different movie. By the way, Hollywood Reporter reported Whedon rewrote about 90 pages, so there's that. I'm hyped. I mean, nobody can say whether it's the same movie or not until we see it. I mean, I certainly, like, a lot of people got concerned when the when the Snyder Cut trailer came out. A lot of people got concerned. It's like, why are we seeing all this stuff that was in the other version? Because there was a, a bunch of stuff. That was, it's like, because there will be a bunch of stuff for the other version. <laughs> right. Look, here's the thing. 
And I don't know where the breakdown in their internal communication is, but this is the thing. The movie's about four hours long. Zack Snyder said two and a half hours of which has been stuff that people haven't seen. That means an hour and a half of this Snyder Cut Justice League will be stuff that we've already seen. Think about that. If Zack Snyder is saying that two and a half hours, which I think is a really good amount, that two and a half hours of this four-hour movie is going to be stuff that we haven't seen yet, that means that leaves an hour and a half of the movie to make up the four hours. So that means an hour and a half of this movie is stuff we have already seen before. So so you got to understand, so when people were saying, why are they putting all this stuff from the first thing in the trailer? Well, because they want it to be an honest trailer. Like, there will be that stuff in the movie, and there's going to be all this new stuff in the movie. Now, at the end of the day, will it feel like a completely different movie? I don't know. I mean, if we go by Batman versus Superman Ultimate Edition, that did not feel like a completely different movie. It, there, were, there was definitely, you could tell it's a different cut, but it did not feel like a different movie. This has like two and a half hours of new stuff. So how much different does it need to be? It all comes down to semantics. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if it feels like a completely different movie or not. All that matters is when you sit down and watch it, do you have a good experience? Whether it feels like a completely different movie or if it feels like the same movie but with a lot of new stuff, whichever one it is, as long as you sit down and you have a good experience watching it, that's all that matters. So all this semantic arguing, arguing about is it a completely different movie, is it not a completely different movie, who the hell cares? At the end of the day, all that matters is do you like watching it when you watch it? And that, because if you like watching it, it doesn't matter if it's practically the same movie with some new stuff or it's practically a completely brand new movie from start to finish. It doesn't matter as long as you liked it. And that's going to be the ultimate thing. By the way, Claudia sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Claudia. Appreciate that. All right. Next up, uh, Bob Vance writes, from uh, Vance, uh, what was that? That's a that's an office character. Yeah. Oh, um, Bob Vance from, from uh, Vance, he's a Vance Refrigeration. Refrigeration from Vance Refrigeration. I don't like the name White Vision. I prefer Eggshell egg Vision, or some people call him Spectral Vision. Is the other one that some people call him Bob. Uh, Jerry writes. Variety reports Chloe Zhao from Nomadland uh, was banned in China. As in 2013, Zhao said there was lies everywhere in China. Media believes that Eternals will also be banned. Do you think that Marvel will fire her to save China's box office? What will happen to the film? No, no, the movie's done. The movie's done. Eternals is done and in the can, it's finished. Not to mention, she's winning every award. I don't care about the Oscars this year, but she's going to win the Oscar for Best Director this year. Her movie, Nomadland, is probably going to win Best Picture. And you're damn well better make sure that Marvel's going to take advantage of that and say, Oscar-winning director, Chloe Zhao, and director of the Best Picture of the Year, Nomad is doing our Marvel movie, Eternal. So, and besides, again, besides the fact that the um, even if they fired her, even if Disney said, you're fired, the job's already done. It's like firing your house painter three years after they finish painting your house. But even <laughs> if they did do that, according to the rules of the DGA, the Directors Guild of America, which all the Hollywood studios have to follow those rules, uh, by their rules, she would still have to be the director of credit. You can fire her all you want. She's the director of credit. So, no. I don't know. Do you see any reality here that uh, that they could 
try to remove Chloe Zhao from this film? I, I don't even even if they wanted to, which they don't. But even if they wanted to, there's no way for them to do it, is there? If it's already in the can, no. Yeah, like, I, it's done. If it's if it's if, if everything's already been shot, the only thing that could happen is a director could come in and you know oversee post production, but they wouldn't get director. The DJ credit. would then override that and say Chloe Zhao is still the director of credit. And, yeah, and- I mean, if you look at Bohemian Rhapsody, Brian Singer was fired mid movie and is still listed as the director. Well, uh, he, he directed a little bit more than mid movie. Okay, yeah, sorry, but he didn't but, but finish the, it out. I think he didn't still have he, three weeks of shooting. Right, he do, didn't. Yeah. Sorry, you're, you're absolutely right. He did not finish directing the movie, but he's still listed as the director. The director, so credit. that's yeah. the DGA rule. So yeah, there's mm-hmm. no way they they can, even if even if Disney wanted to, and again, they're going to want to take advantage of all this awards buzz. Yeah. But even if they wanted to, at this point, they couldn't remove her from it, and I don't think they want to anyway. Uh, good question though, Jerry. Very good question. All right, next up, uh, Jonathan writes. Sorry, John, for bombarding you with all these Snyder Cut comments. You must feel tired of it. Oh, dude, I was sn- tired of Snyder Cut stuff two years ago. Uh, it's uh, it's just I haven't been so excited for a film since Endgame. Uh, since Endgame, after a year of no blockbuster movies, I'm hyped for this. It's just nice to feel super excited about something. So again, sorry, I'm t- uh, I'm I'm talking uh, more Snyder Cut than WandaVision, which I love the finale. Oh no, hey, listen, this is a big deal to a lot of people. It's totally no deal to. More, more people, but to a lot of people, Snyder Cut thing is a big deal. And listen, I have only ever found one Zack Snyder movie. It doesn't matter what director you talk about. I can point to you one movie by every director I don't like, even Steven Spielberg. I didn't like The Terminal. There. Um, the only movie that Zack Snyder ever made that I didn't like was Sucker Punch. That was it. That is the only movie he ever made that I didn't like. Um, some of his movies I completely love, whether you're talking about 300, whether you're talking about The Owls of Gaul, whether you're talking about, obviously, Man of Steel, the most underrated comic book film of all time. I think there's a lot to be excited about. Again, I just think people should take these expectations about this is going to be a completely different movie. This is going to be uh, an altered version. of it. It, it. I mean, at the end of the day, none of it matters. All that matters is do you enjoy it? And and that will be the the final thing. And if you're psyched about it, that's all that's important, man. You be psyched about it. You only got like what, a couple of days left. Just a couple of days left that you got to wait, and then you're gonna get it. Wait, so, when is Snyder Cut coming? I think it's the 13th. Guys in the live chat, help me out with that. I thought it was March 13th. Am I right about that? Am I wrong about that? So today's the 11th, right? Today's, so it'd be oh, like in okay. two days, if I'm not mistaken, or it might be the 19th. Seven um, days. Somebody's saying Angel saying you even 18th. like the Owl movie job. Oh, I thought, the 18th. Oh, the 18th. Somebody's saying you like the Owl movie. I love his Owl movie, Legend of the Guardians: The Owls of Gaul. I actually, I'm one of, I might like it more than anybody else in the world. Don't don't get me wrong. I don't think the Owls of Gaul is like a top five anime film of all time, but I thought it was tragically underrated. I I thought that movie was really good. I thought what Snyder did with that was is totally overlooked, totally overlooked. So wait, when does 18th. when does Falcon and Winter Soldier come out? Like in a week and a half or something like that. Wait, the same day? No, the twenty something. I can't remember. No, a second. Um, Falcon and Winter Soldier release date. I thought it was like, it is Mark Knight's teeth. Yeah, it's the 19th. So it's one day later. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. Then everybody in the live chat beat me to it. But in the 19th. <laughs> so that comes out 19th. So that's so going like, to be a very exciting like weekend. Only eight days from now. So not a week and a half. It's like eight days from now. So Yeah. Woo! So no one's going to be going to the theaters and getting covid breath all over them because they will be st- sitting at home watching falcon and winter soldier and the snyder cut they will do both <laughs> all right next up uh we've got uh let's see here uh 
Dottie the Gandalf writes, uh, no, no, uh, Dothy Gandalf writes, or Dot Hey Gandalf. I don't know, whatever. Uh, how do you stay so enthusiastic and upbeat about what you are doing day in and day out? Uh, that is the Meth. one thing I definitely appreciate about you and Rob, but I don't get you how you do it. Listen, I, from the earth, my whole life has been defined kind of by my love of movies. My, my very first, uh, my earliest childhood memory is my mom showing me Star Wars. That's my earliest childhood memory. And I don't have another one until like four years after that. Mm. Um, it, it's kind of always defined uh, my imagination. I love storytelling. I love comic books and like any form of storytelling, a good novel, a comic book, a great television show. I think the ultimate form of storytelling is movies. That's that's to me at any rate. I just love it. And being able to get together with other fans and talk about the object of our love is exciting to me. It's one of the reasons I am very, very lucky that I have been able to make a career out of engaging something that I completely love. And that includes the fan community that includes, you know, the, the movies and streaming and all the types of storytelling. So when you get to be engaged with something you love every day, if your love is food, you talk to a chef that really loves food. They love going to work every day. Mm -hmm. I mean, they may not love all the people they work with, but they love going to work every day. You talk to an actor that loves to act. They love going to work every day. Mm -hmm. You talk to somebody who just loves like plant life or whatever, and they work in gardening or they work at, at in agriculture or whatever. They love going to work every day. And it's just, I love working every day, man. I really, don't get me wrong. Of course it has its drawbacks. I get fatigued. I get run down. I get exhausted. I get, you know, whatever, but Man, we're talking about movies, dude. It's what's not to smile about. All right, next up, uh, Dexstar writes, it's been, uh, it's been in my face all along. While I'm on the side of Godzilla, I really feel Kong will win. Why? Because how else will he get his true film title, King? Uh, just like Wanda earned the Scarlet Witch, Kong will earn his OG 1933 title even before Godzilla versus Kong. So this is the thing. They have told us that in Godzilla versus Kong, there will be a winner. Oh. There will be a winner. Now, we also know that by the end of the movie, they're going to team up and they're going to fight Mecha Godzilla and they're going to do all that kind of stuff. We know. So it's going to be just like Batman versus Superman. Mm -hmm. They're going to fight. One's going to win. Then a big bad guy comes along where they have to team up and fight against the big bad guy and all that kind of stuff. And I'm all for it. I'm all for it. The, the debate has been will it be Kong or will it be Godzilla? Oh. I am Team Kong. I am Team Kong. Uh, Rob is Team Godzilla. So I don't know what do you, if you had to pick a side. I know you're not totally invested in this, but if you I'm had not to pick totally a side, invested. I want to say Team Kong, but at the same time, I have a feeling like you know you got the entirety of Asia that's going to be Team Godzilla. So, I mean, maybe. I, but I'm sticking by it, man. I'm sticking by it. I'm totally Team Kong. I'm sticking I on Team like Kong. I feel like Team Kong. I feel like Kong has is more ambidextrous and has yes. the use of opposable thumbs, and so that's certainly, you know, he can. Just, well, like I like I like to 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 frame it in like MMA times, right? Like, so what you've okay. got here, you've got you got a classic thing about you got the larger opponent Godzilla. He's going to want to keep distance. Right. Godzilla, he can do his tail whip. He's got his nuclear fire blast. Right. Mm -hmm. He's best on the outside. Right. If he can get you against the cage, he can use his teeth. Yeah. Godzilla or Sir Kong, on the other hand, 
Kong, on the other end, he wants to get on the inside. He wants to hit with crisp strikes. He's got to throw that jab. He's got to set him up with the left jab, bring in the right cross over the top, hit him with that looping right that you see on the on the aircraft carrier. Kong steps in, does this little side shuffle, dips the hip, rover the top right, boom, cracks Godzilla versus Krillin. Oh my God, though, when Godzilla starts firing the nuclear fire and Godzilla's like, that's adorable, takes that big, I think it's like a ship, like a, an oil freighter, catches the nuclear fire. So that's the thing. Godzilla's going to want to keep this at distance. Kong's going to want to make it get inside, get dirty. Um, and we, Kong can outmaneuver him because yes, he can. as a primate, his brain is more developed than that of an amphibian. That's right. He'll have better seal the speed advantage. So I'm mm -hmm. going... God, I'm going Kong. I'm going Kong. I'm going Kong. But we'll see. It doesn't matter. They're going to team up at the end and fight off the other bad guy. But I'm going Kong. All right. Uh, Black Rice 19 says, uh, T'Challa dusted at the end of Infinity War. In five years, he was gone. Someone must have replaced him as king. Somebody else wrote this in earlier. Uh, they came... Uh, they can make whoever it was the new Black Panther. It would be better to create new character, in my opinion, rather than give it to Shuri too young. Well, no, no, there's, I've listed off a thousand reasons why it can't be Shuri. Shuri has no interest in ruling. She is a lab rat. That's what she, she's the smartest person in the MCU, but she wants to be in her lab. She has no combat skills other than putting on the laser things on her or whatever. The clear choice to me, and I don't know that this is what they're going to do, the clear choice is M'Baku. He is clearly the mm, choice. Mm -hmm. He was almost king over T'Challa anyway. He is, no one in Wakanda is going to beat him. Like when they, when it comes time for them to do the challenge, who's going to beat M'Baku? Nobody mm, is. Mm -mm. Nobody's going to beat M'Baku. He's been ruling the Jabari tribe forever anyway. To me, he's the logical point. Now here's the big question though, Aaron. With them needing a new Black Panther, mm -hmm. of course, at the end of Black Panther, there was no more heart-shaped herbs. They, they had the last one. They used the last one to revive T'Challa. Mm -hmm. He had it. That was it. So now they're going to have to come up with an explanation about how is the new Black Panther going to get um, going to get their that power, going to get that Black Panther power. So I don't know how they're going to explain that. I feel like they're just going to find more herbs. They'll just find more. Yeah. I mean, they're going to be hey, like, look, oh, my God, we moved bush. this rock and look at all this herb that we got. We got so much herb. It's <laughs> or like maybe maybe she's going to create some more synthetic herb in her lab. Because she, she's Shuri. She yeah, could. She uh, can do it. Good point. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Andy Hong who writes one of two. This doesn't get talked about enough in Batman versus Superman. The Batman workout scene. When I first, when I saw the first few seconds of Ben Affleck doing pull-ups, I thought, come on, Stephen Amell's Green Arrow can do salmon ladders. I was not impressed until the camera lowered uh, down to show four plates, 180 pounds, 81.6 kilograms chained to his body. The rest of his jaw-dropping intense workout and his rock-hard Batman physique is shown. He looks like 20, uh, 20 MMA fighters put into a human being and this act and, and his acting, his acting in Affleck is the goat of Batman. Well, like I'm not let's let's not go overboard. Let's not say Ben Affleck was like the peak. I mean, he doesn't look like Michael B. Jordan in Creed. I mean, it's not like Ben Affleck was the peak of human physical perfection, but he was jacked. I mean, absolutely he was big. He looked big, he looked strong. And that's the thing. He looked big and he looked strong. To me, and this is a subject for debate a lot, I know, but I can only give you my own personal perspective. To me, what Ben Affleck, Ben Affleck captured the essence of Batman, I believe, better than any other actor ever has. 
John, are you saying Ben Affleck is a better actor than Christian Bale? No, I'm not saying that. I, and I'm not even saying Batman versus Superman was better than The Dark Knight. I'm not saying that. But when you look at the character, I feel like Ben Affleck, in working with director Zack Snyder, better understood the character of Batman than any other actor that's ever played it. Like, he just got it. And he portrayed Batman in that way. That Bruce Wayne was a facade. Bruce Wayne isn't real. Bruce Wayne died that night in the alley with his parents. And the Batman was born. And Ben Affleck played it that way. Because it was he when he's down in the Batcave talking to Alfred, he's Batman. Even though he's not in the suit and cowl, he's Batman because... Batman is who he really is, and Bruce Wayne is the facade. And I just feel like he got that better than anybody else. And um, anyway, yeah, I, I just really, really, he's my favorite Batman, dude. He's my favorite Batman. All right, Green Smoothie writes, Hey, John, ever read or listened to any Terry Pratchett books? I used to a lot when I was young. When I was a kid, I used to pick up all his, like, his fantasy novel stuff. Uh, great to delve into if you're looking for a laugh, especially during the pandemic, but I've never liked any of the small screen adaptations. After seeing The, the Witcher, etc., if only uh, Netflix bought them. Well, they did the one. Hold on a second. Hold on a second now. Um, uh, why am I forgetting the name of the guy you starred with in, uh, in Spartacus? Andy Whitfield. No, uh, the, the Liam, ha Liam, Liam no, McIntyre no, well, didn't play Spartacus. He played, uh, Crixus. Manu Bennett, Manu Bennett. Okay. Yes. Um, uh, Manu Bennett, IMDB. Now I might be wrong about this. I, I just want to look, bring this up and look at this. Cause I may be wrong about this, but I think, yeah, the, sh uh, Shannara Chronicles was that not, I mean, I might be wrong about this. Was that not Terry Pratchett? Was that was that not Terry Pratchett? Hold a second. I don't, I don't know. You I, guys in the live chat, am, am I mixing up authors? Am I because I do this sometimes. I thought Terry Pratchett wrote the Shannara Chronicles, which I actually did like the show. I thought the show was pretty good. I thought the show was pretty good, um, but I cannot remember. Anyway, uh, just I'm, then nobody's throwing in on it on on this. People saying they have no idea. I, I thought it was, but maybe I'm getting the authors mixed up. Anyway, it's always great when you can see like books that you used to love brought to the big screen. That's always fun, whether it's a comic book or other types of novels. Uh, that's always great. I would like to see the Christopher Pike books brought to the screen. And that the is... The ones about the Star Trek Christopher Pike books? No, Christopher Pike. This is like a... If you know who Christopher Pike is, then I know exactly how old you are because <laughs> there were book fairs and when I was in seventh grade... I was obsessed with Christopher Pike books. They were like these suspense, kind of like young adult uh, mystery slash horror books. And I always would gravitate to the Christopher Pike books. And it's so funny because most people on the planet have no idea who Christopher Pike is as far as uh, the Christopher Pike books. But the people that get it, they're like, oh, my God, I remember the book fair in seventh grade. Yeah, they were they were pretty awesome. All right, uh, next up, we've got Sergeant Ward who writes, Steven Spielberg making another movie. This is not a drill. Apparently, this is an autobiographical story about his childhood, and Michelle Williams is playing his mother. Does this excite? I have not heard about this. I met Steven Spielberg's mother, uh, which is cool. When I did my movie, um, The Anniversary, mm -hmm. um, this uh, I got this uh, lawyer to represent me. And he was, he was like, so he was great. I loved him, Abram. And he was like very, 
a stereotypical what you think of a a Hollywood. He was a rabbi and an entertainment lawyer. So like, <laughs> and he's he's like, I'm the living embodiment of everything you think of in Hollywood is what he would say, right? But he like he would have the big hat and he had the hair and and he was great. And he took me out to lunch one day. Mm-hmm. He took me out to lunch one day to I I'm trying to remember the name of the restaurant. It was like. Milk and Honey or, or something like that. Oh, I've been to Milk and Honey. That's yeah, it's a um, it's a kosher restaurant. It's, it's Steven Spielberg's fantastic. mother's restaurant. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know it's that It's on either. Pico. And I, I, I can't remember. It is. This was uh-huh. many years ago. Mm-hmm. So he took me there and I, I got to, and he introduced me to Spielberg's mom at the time. This is years ago, of course. Um, and uh, yeah, sweet. So I have not heard about this movie happening. I have not heard about this movie happening. But if if he does, I mean, because I believe I just I believe I remember hearing that his mother just recently passed away. Oh. So if he decided he wants to do a, a movie that focuses on his mother, I think that's beautiful. I think that's absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, we have kept Aaron Cummings overtime. I just realized it looks that's like Joey okay. Bishop is looking to go to bed, although she's, she's probably just sleeping the whole time anyway. She's basically been sleeping the whole time. I, however, am definitely in need of an extra strength Tylenol because as I was telling you when I came in this morning. Um, I woke up at like three in the morning and my pillow was bunched up. So I have had a sharp shooting pain that has been creeping up the back of my head and all down my left side um, and all of my ointments and stinky (laughs) lotions that I rubbed on it like two hours ago have started to wear off. So uh, yeah, before I start um, hallucinating in pain, uh, it's time for us to time for us so to go for a little. So, where can people follow you and your adventures online? Well, you can come and see me on Twitter and Instagram at Aaron L Cummings, and I'm now on something called Clubhouse, which I still don't really understand. I've gotten so many invites to Clubhouse, but I don't use iPhone, so I'm like, I, I don't need to be on another thing. But I've gotten so many people who sent me invites to Clubhouse, and I'm like, I don't. I don't. I don't really understand it or get it. Like I'm kind of like, I want to be, I want to be on less social media. I want to be less available and accessible. And I, and I had this whole rant to myself yesterday. I was like, I'm not a content creator. Why do I have to be a content creator? I'm an actor. And all I want to do is act. I want to take someone else's brilliant dialogue and I want to say it in a way that me and the director figure out is the right way to say it I don't want to have to come up like you're a great content creator I love getting my questions the night before and being like what do I think about that what I have to say about that and coming on here I don't want my own show that's not what I want if I wanted that I would have gone to film school but I didn't so um, I don't know what clubhouse is I don't know how long I'll be there but for right now, I'm there. And uh, and I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. So come see me. And I post a lot of pictures of this little girl. So if you think she's cute, which she's I do. She's adorable. I love yeah. Joy Bishop. Anyway, thanks she for doesn't. being here, Aaron. And we'll talk to you again next week. Have a good one. And say right. hi to Tom Thank for me. Thank you. I will. Bye, everybody. Love you guys. Okay, guys, that is, of course, Aaron Cummings. Thank you again for being here, Aaron. But we've still got some time here, guys. So let's keep firing through your questions, shall we? We're going to pick up here with Mr. Rogers, who writes, Hey, John. I recall first seeing Paul Sung Hung Lee in a little-known local stage play called Kim called Kim's Convenience only about five or so years before it was adapted into a hit television series. I had no idea it was a stage play before it was made into a show. No idea. Crazy thing is, become such a beloved IP worldwide. I had no idea about that. None. That is amazing. And listen, somebody's got to pick up. 
Kim's Convenience. It is seriously one of the best shows on TV. You got Simu Liu is about to blow up because he's going to be Shang-Chi in, in the Marvel Universe. Paul Lee is fantastic. His Appa is one of my favorite television characters on all of television. I really hope somebody picks that up. Thanks for the info on that, Mr. Rogers. Uh, Sergeant Ward writes, also, have you seen Boss Level yet? Uh, I don't have Hulu, so I haven't been able to watch it, but I have been following this movie for a while now. Also, what is your opinion on Joe Carnahan's films? He's one of my favorite directors. Um, yes, I did watch Boss level and i remember they've been working on this movie forever like i think i was i was i'm almost positive i was still at collider when we first started hearing about this movie boss level he's going to be doing with frank grillo and it had been a long time i had almost forgotten about it so anyway i sat down to watch it here's my thoughts on boss level as a movie it's not all that great let me rephrase as a story. It's not all that great. It's, it's actually very, very thin story wise. Um, but the action is bonkers. Like the action is absolute bonkers. And yeah, like there, there's this whole thing. You guys know, if you've seen the trailers that there's a bit of a time loop and their whole explanation for it is very thin and very weak. They go, basically it's like, yeah, there's a machine. It does this thing. I mean, that's basically it, right? There's really not much story. But the movie doesn't really try to be that. The movie doesn't try to be anything more than a really fun, just kind of bonkers action for, I can't remember how long the movie was, 90 minutes, 100. I, I can't remember how long it was. But yes, on that level, it, it's pretty enjoyable. So I would say if you like those types of movies... You, you should sit down and, uh, and give it a shot. I think you might have a good time. All right, next up, Ethan Holgate writes, Hey, John, fun fact about a movie called A Lock starring Tom Hardy. If you've seen it, I have, and it was great. Brilliant low-budget uh, idea movie, in my opinion, but who other than Tom Holland uh, before, sorry, in my opinion, but who other than Tom Holland before he was Spider-Man plays one of his sons that he speaks to on the phone? What are the odds of that? Well, hold on, let me bring this up here. Um, I was saying, maybe if I spell it right, uh, I spelled it wrong again. Okay, here we go. Uh, no, not lock and key. This is, I believe Olivia Coleman was in this whole second. Come on, load up. There we go. Yes, yes, there we have it. So Olivia Coleman, uh, was in this. And of course she's an Academy Award winning actress and stuff like that. And down there you go. You know what? I had totally, totally, totally forgotten all about that. Because this movie was what, 2014? When when was it? 2013. It was 2013. So this was like seven or eight years ago. But no, Locke. Locke was one of these movies where it's it's kind of like um uh what's the best way I know how to describe it? Uh, that Ryan Reynolds movie Buried, where like Ryan Reynolds is really the only guy in the movie, other than hearing a bunch of other voices, right? It's mostly Ryan Reynolds. And this one is kind of like that, but for Tom Hardy. There are certain movies like uh, Brunson, Locke. There are movies like Tom Hardy. We think of him as like, okay, yeah, he's Venom. He's this big badass. He's a great actor. He is a great actor. And there are certain movies like that that exist um, that... Uh, that remind you of that. Just like whenever people say to me, you know, you're always talking about how much you think Ryan Reynolds is really great. What's a, what's a movie is really fantastic. And I always say buried, go and watch buried. 
a movie where he's the only guy in it. It's him in a box, literally. The whole movie of Buried is Ryan Reynolds in a box for 90 minutes. And he makes it unbelievably engaging and watchable. It's it's kind of crazy. And Locke is kind of like that. Um, it's kind of like that for Tom Hardy. Anyway, that's kind of my take on it. All right, next up. Uh, Mischievous Gremlin writes, Hey, John, I just wanted to pass on some casting news. It was just announced that Michelle Gomez was cast to be in the next season of Doom Patrol. Is she like the one who was in Doctor Who? I think she was the one who's in, anyway, and Doom Patrol. I remember her from Doctor, oh, Doctor Who, there we go. I remember her from Doctor Who when she played Missy, and she was also in that HBO show, The Flight Attendant. See, that's the thing. I The only reason I knew she was in Doctor Who, because I don't watch Doctor Who, but I was having this conversation with somebody about Flight Attendant um, that's got the girl who does the voice of Harley Quinn. I have not watched that either. And this friend of mine was saying, oh, it's also got Michelle Gomez, you know, from Doctor Who. And I'm like, I don't watch Doctor Who. You don't know Michelle Gomez from Doctor Who? I'm sure. I'm, I'm, you must have seen her in Doctor Who. Like, dude, you're not listening to me. I don't watch Doctor Who. I have no idea. Anyway, um, any casting in Doom Patrol, though, catches my attention. So I have to look for that. Uh, and I feel she's a very underrated character actress. So I'm very excited to see her in this show. She'll be playing a character named Madam Rogue. Are you familiar with her work and what are your thoughts? I'm, no, I'm not completely familiar with her work, obviously, because I don't watch Doctor Who and I haven't seen Flight Attendant. Uh, but, you know, everybody says she's really talented. You know my philosophy. It's never a mistake to add talent. And anything that has to do with Doom Patrol will completely have my attention. All right. Thanks for that, mischievous gremlin. Next up, Dwayne Jackson writes, Hey, John and family. I recently watched your movie a second time. Thank you so much. Uh, I give five bags of popcorn. I only got one stomach to eat, one bag of popcorn. Extra butter the second time I watched. Excellent job. Sequel in the works or a new project that you are working on. All right. Thanks a lot for that. Um, no, I'm not going to do a sequel to movie trailers, a love story. There will be no sequels to that. Um, I, I had an idea for another pro for my next project, but it kind of got sidelined and I'm trying to decide whether to pick it back up again. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to do about that. Um, honestly, I'm still just really trying to get settled in. Like the moving is a huge deal and we moved into our first house and I'm still trying to get settled in. So I'll figure it out. Um, but we'll see. I will do something again. I'm just not sure when yet. Maybe soon, maybe not, maybe this year, maybe next year, but I'll do something, another project again soon. We'll see. We'll just see what it turns out to be. Thanks for that, Dwayne. And thank you for watching my movie, man. I appreciate that. All right. Dwayne also writes one of three. Hey, John, uh, I rewatched the Dark Knight trilogy and it got me thinking when Frank Miller replaced the Batman, the Batman became uh, more edgier and more hardcore. The Batman is the most popular comic book character bar none. Uh, it reminds me of. Um, is that two of two guys? You got to make sure to remember to number these things. Okay. So it reminds me of Austin. Remember he was in WCW as stunning Steve Austin floundering the mid card. He got injured. He was fired by FedEx. Uh, he goes to the WWE and he's given the worst gimmick called the ringmaster. That's right. The million dollar man, Ted DiBiase was when stone cold, Steve Austin first came to the WWE. He was called the ringmaster and his, he was managed by the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Anyway, he, he re repackaged himself as stone cold. That's when his career took off. And I can't go looking for any more. Um, yeah, no, we've talked about this before when it came to 
Batman, like that Frank Miller, The Dark Knight Returns, which, I mean, I remember the first time as a kid when I read The Dark Knight Returns, I like so blown away by it, so completely blown away by it. But it was so impactful. That one kind of Elseworlds graphic novel, it fundamentally changed Batman, not just in the novel. I mean, in our everybody's perception of Batman, how then other writers started to portray Batman, um, the Batman character was forever changed with The Dark Knight Returns. And it kind of became the, the Batman that we kind of know today is a direct lineage result of that Frank Miller graphic novel. And you're right. It was kind of like going from, you know, stunning Steve Austin to, to Stone Cold. And Stone Cold is now what we always think of when we think of Steve Austin. And the Batman that we kind of got in The Dark Knight Returns is the Batman we kind of think of when we think of modern Batman. And that's kind of why, I mean, it's kind of the Batman that I saw more in Ben Affleck, which is maybe kind of part of the reason why I liked him so much uh, in that kind of area as well. All right. Uh, good observation, Dwayne. Next up, uh, Viking Chris writes, uh, just a tip to support the podcast. Love the show. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. It's always nice when somebody wants to write in just to be supportive and say something kind. Thank you, man. Um, let's see. An anonymous viewer writes, hey, John, I could be very wrong about this, but I think uh, since Disney has Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, Disney Animation, ESPN, and National Geographic, I think it would be really easy for them to make 100 shows per year. However, most of those won't be quality. So yeah, we were talking about this on the John Campus show yesterday about the fact that not only has Disney Plus just hit 100 million subscribers, they now say they want to make 100 new titles per year. To me, that's concerning because, you know, Bob Iger said at the last investors call, he said, we are focused on quality, not quantity. Okay, great. And then Bob Chapek comes on and says, we're going to make 100 new titles a year. And I, I mean, yes, you do have a lot of arms there. Pixar, Marvel, Disney Animation, uh, Star Wars, ES, I mean, yeah, but ESPN's ESPN. That's not going to be on Disney Plus. So that's something separate. National Geographic is. But we're talking about every single one of those putting out. 13, 14 new IPs every year. I don't know. It seems really ambitious. So I don't know. Maybe Bob Chapek was just using hyperbole. Maybe. Maybe hyperbole. But I would rather them put out like 30 original titles a year and make sure they're all of a certain level of quality instead of the, like the Netflix model, which has put out 500 new titles a year, 482 of them will be crap, and about 18 of them will be really excellent, you know? So I don't know. We'll, we'll see where, where they're able to go with that. Uh, next up, Ralph Bonner writes, I literally laughed out loud when they revealed Ralph's, Ralph's name, and he laughed at the word, laughed at the word Bonner. Well, I mean, it's it's actually a German name. That's actually a real German name, Bonner. Anyway, Boner. Uh, my first thought was uh, one big Boner joke, and that's hilarious. Him being Ralph is a nice touch. Overall, I was very happy with the re reveal. LOL, Boner, or Bonner, as it should be properly pronounced. I mean, again, I just, I thought it was fabulous. I thought it was utterly, completely fantastic when they cast him to be Fietro. I thought it was brilliant and wonderful and awesome. It was both a great misdirect. It was a great conversation goer. And it had everybody guessing right up to the end. Is he or isn't he? It was total, absolute perfection. 
absolute perfection, in my opinion, at any rate. All right, Dwayne Jackson writes, uh, Austin, oh, sorry, we already did that one. Sorry about that. War Doctor 10 writes, hey, John and crew. So it's been announced that Michelle Gomez has been, well, did, uh, Oh, I guess this, is, this isn't the same question. Michelle has been cast as Madame Rogue for Doom Patrol Season 3. I love this casting. Thoughts again. I'm not very familiar with her as an actress, but I am totally into anything Doom Patrol, and it's always a good idea to add talent, War Doctor. Next up, Mr. Gux writes, Hey, John. I'm glad to see Latinos in leading roles. Uh, Diego Luna as Cassie Nandor, Pedro Pascal as Mandalorian, Salma Hayek in Eternals. Also, I'd love to see an MCU, Star Wars, DCU project from one of these directors. Del Toro, Karan, or Inaratu. Which are your favorite movies from these? Well, that's I'm not going to go into. I'm not. We're not going to do a huge breakdown of of all their movies. But all three of them, obviously, Academy Award winners. They started to be known in award circles as the Three Amigos, because and and there was a stretch of years there where they were just hopscotching about which one wins Best Director this year, right? And all that kind of stuff. They tons of awards, great stuff. I mean. I, I my personal favorite out of them is still Del Toro because Del Toro can really mix up what he does a lot and he gets more into the genre stuff more than the other guys. And when his movie, the uh, the uh, Shape of Water, um, which I thought was so freaking good. I mean, yeah, it's it's weird seeing it's weird seeing um, what's the name of the damn bear? Why am I freezing on the name of the damn bear? Um, Paddington. It's weird seeing Paddington's mom bumping nasty with a fish monster in, in a big puddle of water. That's kind of weird, but still utterly and completely brilliant. And by the way, don't forget, we're about to get, um, I think, unless I'm forgetting one, we're about to get our first Latino lead in a major comic book film because we're about to get Blue Beetle. They announced this the other day. And they're going to use the Jaime version of Blue Beetle. And so we've got that coming as well. So yeah, we, we are getting a lot of these things coming. So that's always encouraging to see. All right, next up, a Canadian movie lover writes, um, John, early 2020, Cineworld was very close to having ownership of Cinemaplex. Yep, I remember that. Uh, Cineplex, I should say. However, that deal fell through and it didn't materialize, which meant hopes for a movie membership subscription was dashed. Was that... Uh, was that the last only hope for Canada to get its own? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, look, I am, I have a very weird relationship with Cineplex. I hate them and I love them. And maybe it's because I love them that I hate them so much. It's, it's really weird. Um, that the Cineplex, for those of you who don't know, Cineplex is the movie theater chain in Canada. There's other smaller players, but really there's one movie theater chain in Canada, really, and it's Cineplex. And I remember I would drive across the country just to go back to my favorite Cineplex theater to watch a big new movie coming out that I really wanted to see. And I'm not kidding. I've literally gotten on airplanes and I've literally literally gotten in cars and gone across the country so I could watch some big new movie coming out. I wanted to watch it on my phone favorite screen i want to watch it on my in my favorite theater and i have such a special place in my heart for cineplex cineplex though in my estimation has become kind of an evil company um their fundamental disrespect for their customers their really nasty business practices um i i have grown to hate them yet i love them 
it's really, really weird. Uh, this very odd relationship that I have with that, with that movie theater chain, but I will always hope, I will always hope eternal that that movie theater chain can get back on course, find its moral North star again and become the theater chain that I've always wanted them to be. So I don't know. I will always hope for them and cheer for them, but I also kind of hate their guts in some way. So I don't know. It's a very, very confusing relationship I have with that movie theater chain. All right, next up, uh, Dwayne. Oh, okay. So Dwayne Jackson again, uh, off. I can't remember what the, where we left off there, Dwayne, sorry. Repacking it and refreshing someone's character is always a plus. Frank Miller's dark, uh, did wonders for the Batman character. Do you think the Superman character needs a refresh or a repackaging like Austin or the Batman? How would you refresh that character? No, no, absolutely not. Um, Superman, is Superman. Now you can, what you do change a little bit is how are these core fundamental DNA characteristics of Superman? How are those portrayed in the 1970s? How are those portrayed in the 1980s? How do those get portrayed in the 2020s? Right? You can keep those core essential characteristics about Superman, but understand that those characteristics may be expressed differently in a, in like a different era. This is one of the reasons why I love Henry Cavill's Superman so much. I believe Henry Cavill embodies all of the ideals and things of Superman, but in the at the time, in the 2010s, not the 1970s, like the Christopher Reeve era, but in the 2010s, those sets of ideals and characteristics would express this way. It's still the same ideals. It's still the same characteristics, but they're expressed differently and they show differently. And I think that's the one challenge of Superman. You always got to keep those things about Superman, but you do have to understand that how those things would be expressed from era to era may change. So that's how I kind of see that. At any rate, uh, next up, uh, BCI, uh, a beast writes, Hey, John, I'm excited for those who wish me dead uh, by Taylor Sheridan. Just because Taylor Sheridan wrote it is all I need. It's all I need. Uh, the reason we haven't heard anything is because it releases on HBO Max. Trailers released two months before, so expect something soon. Also, what are you excited from HBO Max releases? Nothing. Uh, but let me let me qualify that. So somebody wrote in the other day what BCI is referring to. Somebody wrote in. Uh, yesterday and talking about because we were talking about Taylor Sheridan we we're talking about why has there been no um, trailers or marketing for those who wish me dead and we were speculating and yeah you're right HBO Max probably a two-month thing there you go but anything that Taylor Sheridan touches I will be there for like when you look at Wind River Sicario um, like the dude just whatever he touches turns out to be fantastic so I'm all for it it's it's it depends on the nature of the question, because obviously I'm losing my mind to watch Godzilla versus Kong and I'm losing my mind to watch uh, 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 Mortal Kombat. And obviously we've got Dune coming and all that kind of stuff. I'm just not thrilled with their release model this year. I just it's hard for me to get excited for them overall because of this really idiotic release model that they're doing. Uh, but I mean, in the immediate, I mean, in the immediate God, I'm losing my mind to see Godzilla versus Kong properly on a movie screen. I mean, that. I absolutely cannot wait for. All right, next up. 
Uh, Dwayne Jackson writes, if the, if the Snyder is good and gets positive feedback and gets good reviews, do you think WB will change their minds? No. Do you think WB will change their minds and green lighting sequels sooner rather than later? Should they capitalize on the potential good press and continue with the Snyder trilogy of just, uh, no, they're not. Here's the thing. I, I've said this before a million times. I will say it again. Everybody already has seen Zack Snyder's movies, right? Everybody has already seen Zack Snyder do DC movies. Everybody knows whether they like Zack Snyder's um, uh, tastes, Zack Snyder's flavor when it comes to his DC movies. Everybody already knows. DC already knows. Warner Brothers already knows what his movies are. People who don't like, and there are a lot of them, people who don't like Zack Snyder's DC take are not going to like this Justice League. They're not going to suddenly magically start appreciating it. Zack Zack Snyder's Justice League is going to be a Zack Snyder DC film, just like Man of Steel was, which is brilliant, just like Man of Steel was, just like Batman vs. Superman was. And a lot of people hate those movies. They're not going to suddenly magically, oh, now I like Zack Snyder's sensibilities when it comes to the DC stuff. That's not going to happen. And people who do like, people like myself, who do like his DC sensibilities, we're not going to suddenly not like his DC sensibilities, right? Like, I'm fully expecting that I'm going to enjoy um, the Justice League that comes out on HBO. I'm fully anticipating I'm going to like it because I've liked everything Zack Snyder has done other than Sucker Punch. But I, in particular, have liked everything he's done when it comes to DC. But it's not like people aren't going to suddenly magically start appreciating his sensibilities when it comes to see they already know they don't like his stuff warner brothers already knows that they don't like his movie that's why they try to scrap it and they made joss whedon come and change so much of it they already know they don't like his movie um they already know now the question isn't isn't about whether or not warner brothers likes it the question is whether or not the people who are looking forward to this they like it and that's all that counts but at the end of the day this movie isn't going to change anybody's minds no matter how good this Justice League is, there are people who already don't like Zack Snyder's stuff and they're not going to like it. No matter how bad this Justice League is, there are already people who've decided that they're going to like it. And neither of the two are going to change their positions. Neither of the two are going to change anything. So that is why Walter Hamada has been very clear. This is a cul-de-sac. This is a one-shot thing. It's not happening again. That's why Zack Snyder has said, I have no plans to do anything else. I'm not doing anything else. And this whole magical fairy tale world of everybody's going to love it. Like, no. Like, I got friends of mine who I have tried for years to get them to appreciate Man of Steel. And they just don't. They just didn't like their approach. They don't like his sensibilities when it comes to DC and Superman and the other characters. And they just don't like them. And they're not going to suddenly, magically, going to, oh, now I do like him with just, it's not going to change their minds. So nothing's going to change. So my, my encouragement to people who are really looking forward to seeing this iteration of Justice League is just go into it understanding it is a one-shot thing. Now, crazier things have happened 
right? Just because that's what Warner Brothers says they're doing. Just because Warner Brothers says this is a one-shot thing. This is a cul-de-sac. This is it. End of the line. Just because Zack Snyder says, I have no plans to make anything else, blah, blah, blah. Anything can happen in the future. Anything can happen in the future. But I, my encouragement to people who are looking forward to watching this thing is just go in with the expectations that this is it and enjoy it for what it is instead of attaching, you know, to to your potential enjoyment that they're going to do four more after this. That is clearly not in Warner Brothers' playbook right now. At least that's what they're saying publicly. All I'm not inside the war room at Warner Brothers. All I'm going off of is what Warner Brothers has publicly said, which is this is it. It's a cul-de-sac, one shot, and it's done. Maybe things will change, but I'd say don't go into this thinking they have to do follow-up films in order for me to like this because you're just sabotaging yourself. Just go in, watch it for what it is, and appreciate it for what it is. And hopefully then you'll have a good time. All right, uh, next up, uh, Ryan Loner writes, I was going to start watching Kim's Convenience, but I suddenly have a lot less motivation for it now that I know the story's just going to stop with no resolution. And I bet I'm far from the only one that's in that position right now. One of the things I would say to that, Ryan, is this isn't lost. It's not breaking bad. It's not like the, the idea. The thing about Kim's convenience is it is a sitcom, which means it's not about the ongoing story and how it is not like Game of Thrones. How does this conclude? Seriously, you just sit down and watch it. Like, I couldn't even I can't even tell you remember how Parks and Rec ends. It doesn't matter. Each episode of Parks and Rec is just utterly delightful and fun to watch. And that's what I would say about Kim's convenience. So, so don't think of it in terms of, you know, Lost or Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad. It's like, but then how does it conclude? This is a sitcom. Go watch it. Appreciate it for what it is. And I guarantee you're going to have a really good time watching it, Ryan. All right, next up. Uh, James Hoffman writes, Episode 2 of Superman and Lois revealed Captain Luther's motivations. He thinks he is the hero and has seemingly good intentions for thinking Superman is the villain. That is one of the best types of villain, in my opinion. Can't wait to see where they go with it. Hey, listen, I'll tell you what. I had big double zero expectations for this Superman and Lois show. It's pretty good so far. You know me. I hate what CW has done to Superman. I hate what they've done to Superman. But credit words do. I had zero interest in the Superman and Lois show. The first one was pretty good. It was it was much better than I thought it would be. Episode two was also pretty solid. So let I will just I'm not going to get ahead of myself. All I will say about this Superman and Lois show right now is that I am pleasantly surprised. I'm still fully expecting them to drop the ball, but for now. I will say I am pleasantly surprised. I am really pleasantly surprised by the show so far. And we're going to start things off here with Willow, who writes, What happens when a bear eats 70 pounds of cocaine? It overdoses and dies, of course. So when they're going to have to take some liberties with cocaine bear, because otherwise the movie's going to be about 10 minutes long. Well, again, don't forget, um, it's it, this is based on a true story. So I would, I would suggest if you're interested... In this new movie coming, Cocaine Bear, do go check out the the details of the true story. It is kind of really interesting, Willow, but you're right. You eat 70 pounds of cocaine, you're going to die. Anyway, uh, the canon writes, 
Um, evaluating movies is a subjective exercise. Agreed. I would add that we all judge by our own criteria. Mine are the number one is writing. Number two is performance. Number three is the premise concept, which is why I'm tougher on movies with plot holes. MCU. What's your criteria? I don't have any. My criteria is do you deliver the experience? That's it. As I, that's not very uh, film criticy of you, John. Oh, I know. I know. Uh, but I, I am, I, Look, I always say that movies are experiential events. If a movie makes you experience something, love, joy, fear, shock, um, pondering, uh, reflection, laughter, excitement, blood rushing, whatever, depending on the genre of the movie, because each movie looks to deliver a different type of experience, if you can deliver that experience, then that at the end of the day becomes the most important thing. Did I love that experience that I had watching that piece of content? And a lot of different things can do it. Sometimes it's the performance that does it. Sometimes it's the lines that do it. Sometimes it's the visuals that do it. So, I mean, it, it's different things and every single movie looks to deliver its own unique experience. And for me as a film watcher, at the end of the day is, did I have an experience? And if I did, then I, you know, usually walk up, walk out with a big uh, smile on my face. And that's why I like things like MCU, they always deliver a great experience, at least for me, uh, you know, notwithstanding Iron Man 2 and, uh, you know, Inhumans, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a bunch of things that, that Marvel doesn't do great. But for the most part, when I watch a piece of Marvel content, I they usually do a bang-up job of delivering a great experience. And so that's just it for me. All right, thanks for that, Canon. Next up, uh, Agent Cajun writes, uh, one of two, John, tip for buttering popcorn. Take a straw, push it halfway down into the popcorn, open the butter tap onto the end of the straw. Are you joking? Is this a joke? Because I'm the one who gave, I even did a video on this. I'm the one who gave this tip. Anyway, um, yeah, do you not remember this, Agent Cages? <laughs> anyway, the butter will run inside the straw to the bottom. The butter running down the straw will butter the popcorn on the bottom. Uh, the butter running, and by the way, Daniel Luna sends in a super chat badge. Thank you for that, Daniel. The butter running along the outside of the straw will butter the top levels of the popcorn. Oh, that's a little bit of a variation. That's a little bit of a variation on the way I do it. Uh, then shake uh, a bit and you'll get somewhat uniform buttering during the popcorn. I've done it for years. See, all I basically do is I put the straw down near the bottom, run the butter, and then as I just move the straw along and lower the bag down and I get a nice even covering of butter. The problem is using the outside of the straw means you're getting butter all over your hands and fingers, but maybe it distributes well. I'll, I'll tell you what, man, I'll maybe try that the next time I'm actually in a movie theater. All right, next up, Tony Rodriguez writes, I said I was done with Warner Brothers Arrowverse shows, but I gave Superman a try. And the first three episodes, I haven't seen episode three yet. And the first three episodes was quality CG. Well, the whole bridge scene was bad. Again, I haven't seen episode three. School Hall Way, again, I haven't seen that. So you know what? I'm just going to skip on over that, Tony, because I haven't. I don't want to get spoiled. I haven't seen the thing yet. But I, what I will say is, uh, again, like I was saying a little bit earlier, I have, I have been very pleasantly, shockingly surprised because, you know, they have completely mishandled the Superman character uh, in the CW verse. They have so disrespected the Superman character in the CW verse that I had very, very little interest in watching it. 
But I got to tell you, man, the first, at least the first couple of episodes, I got to say, give credit where it's due, man. It's been pretty good. And so we'll see if they're able to continue that or if they'll shit the bed like I'm expecting them to. Anyway, Friday Night writes, Hey, John, a question came in yesterday about exclusion in Hollywood that provoked both a thought and a question. How do you think 2020 will affect the diversity issue? And who do you think and and who do you think studios will give the best ops to this year? I don't know what you mean by ops this year. Writers, directors or actors. I'm I'm really not sure what it is you're asking. Um, how do I think 2020 will affect the diversity issue? Um, I, look, I'll just kind of I'm not really clear on what it is you're asking there. Uh, Friday night, but but I will say this, kind of re- rehashing a bit of what I said yesterday. Every like, re- regardless of where you are on the spectrum, it doesn't matter. I think we all agree and we all understand that for over a generation, generations, there has been a very active, strict agenda of exclusion in Hollywood. Like there, that's that's beyond refute, right? There's no debating that. There's no argument, and I think that's something we all agree on. I think we all agree that for untold decades, there has been a very active agenda of exclusion in Hollywood. I think we are also all agree that we would like that agenda to be wiped away. That agenda needs to end. So. Here we are now. We're in a very interesting place in Hollywood history. And and remember, I'm no ex. I'm not a sociologist, okay? I'm just giving you kind of my thoughts on this. But we are now in a place where I think every studio and everybody, forget just the studio, I think everybody is trying to now figure out what does this look like? What does wiping away those old agendas of exclusion what does wiping those away look like? How do we guard ourselves against swinging the pendulum too far? How do we not let our fear of swinging the pendulum too far prevent us from swinging it far enough? And I think every studio, every body, every organization in Hollywood right now is really trying to figure that out. And they're all trying to find their way. And I think everybody's got to be cut a little bit of slack Um, over the next couple of years, as everybody figures out what does that look like? How do we take the scalpel and excise this agenda of exclusion that's been a part of this industry for so long? And how do we do it in the right way? And everybody's going to have different opinions and ideas about what is the right way. And I think all of us are going to have different opinions one year from now than we have today. I think we're all also learning and evolving our, our thoughts and points of view on it. But if we can all agree that there was this old, there was this, there has been this long standing agenda of exclusion. And we all agree that that agenda of exclusion has got to go. Then, then we'll get there. We'll get there. And as, as far as that, that's pretty much as, uh, as far as, as much as I'm a- really able to shed light on it Friday. Anyway, thanks for, it's a great issue to bring up Friday. And I'm glad you did. All right. Next up, Captain Blue Pants writes. I sort of kind of maybe wish we were never told that WandaVision Spider-Man and Doctor Strange 2 were connected because the rumors and theories are at peak levels out of control. If Spider-Man is not a full Spider-Verse film, then a lot of people will go nuts. Sigh. Yeah, and people should just get the hell over it. 
Nobody said Spider-Man 3 is going to be any kind of a multiverse movie. Nobody ever said that. But you're right. A lot of theories. Now, here's the thing. Again, we've been talking a lot about theories and speculations. Theories and speculation, even wild theories and speculation, are good. They're great. We just have to always remember they need to be kept in their place. Our theories and speculations should not become expectation. Once we allow our theories and speculations to become expectations, you are sitting, you're setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up for disappointment and you're only sabotaging your own enjoyment. Theories and expectations are fun. Theories and expectations should sometimes be a little bit wild. And theories and expectations, I think, enhance our overall enjoyment of being part of a fan community. The problem is when our theories and expectations become expectations, we think now it's not just, ooh, could they do this? It becomes they need to do this. And the moment we as audiences start saying they need to do this, well, now we're just setting ourselves up for disappointment. And... I think we saw a lot of that in WandaVision. And I I think you're right. We're seeing a lot of that already in speculation for Spider-Man 3. Well, I mean, again, we should always speculate and theorize. We always should. I never want that to go away. But again, speculation and theory should never become expectations. And as long as we know to keep those two things different, we'll always be pleasantly surprised. But that's my take on it. But you're kind of right about that, Captain Blue Pants. All right. Um, next up we have JP from the Bronx writes, sup, John watched the film drive and was reminded of how important a movie score is. Yeah, it's so good. I felt the same way about the crow movie. Uh, they almost serve as a delivery vehicle for emotion. Did you enjoy those scores? I'll be honest. I don't even remember the score from crow. I don't even remember the score from the crow. I do remember the score from drive. It was great. Uh, what's your favorite score soundtrack ever? Well, obviously to just sit down. And listen to, it's the Star Wars soundtrack. But if you want to talk about a soundtrack that did exactly what you're talking about, the, the music becomes a delivery device for emotional moments. It's hard to not talk about Shore's, um, uh, Shore's score for the Lord of the Rings films. I'm, I mean, the music in those movies. Like when I see a picture, this is how strong it is. When I see a picture, even just a picture of like a, a grassy, beautiful hillside or something like that, right? Even if I just see a picture of that, I instantly hear in my head, I think about the Shire and I hear in my head, you know, like I just hear that flute, like it just plays because the emotions that you feel through that movie are so interwoven uh, with, with the music of it. It's just super powerful and, and really great. So that one is one that stands out to me. All right, guys, listen. I need to wrap things up. I, I planned on going a little bit longer, but I'm starting to have a little bit of a tech issue on my side. So before it becomes a really big problem, it's going to wrap it up right now. So that'll do it 
For today's installment of the John Campy Show, guys, thank you so much for being here. Listen, there are still some more questions to come. Uh, we've got questions coming from JP. Oh, no, we already did JP from the Bronx. I think we got Joshua Waller, uh, Antithesis, Windwalker57. Do not worry. I'm going to do a companion video a little bit later today. Uh, it won't be with Kimberly because we weren't planning on doing one today. But I'm going to do a companion video later today, and we will get through all your remaining questions. So stay tuned for that. That'll be coming up a little bit later today. All right, guys, thank you so much for being here today and spending some of your time with us. Thanks, of course, to the wonderful Aaron Cummings for coming in and Joey Bishop, of course. So guys, remember, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.